whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you laugh, like do more of that. And like, don't let anyone tell you or don't even let yourself tell you it's like impossible or you can't like, okay, maybe you might not be the Olympic champion, but fuck it. doesn't mean you can't do something or you can't enjoy it or you can't have a go. What's up people? My name is Katie Friesen, and you're listening to Humans of the World podcast. This podcast gives you insights into human behavior. It's walking a mile in someone else's shoes, understanding why people act the way that they do. We have a Humans of the World global community where you can meet friends from all around the world. You can talk to different people. We'll have different cool little events and hangouts. This is all hosted on our Humans of the World Discord channel. If you want the link to join the Discord channel, you can find it through Instagram, that's at Humans of the World Podcast, or through the website, www.humansoftheworld.co. I would love to meet with you guys. I would love to chat with you. So definitely join our global community. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being great. And I hope you enjoy this next conversation. Today's conversation is with Avril Mathy. Avril was born in Australia. Uh, she got kicked out of her house at 15, 16, then went traveling around the world. Uh, she works in bars, then she was had her own gym, was a personal trainer. She got into boxing, also beauty pageants at the same time. Um, and now she is a professional boxer living in Miami. Avril has an amazing outlook on life. Um, and she's literally a magnet wherever she goes. Avril makes everyone feel very good about themselves and she lives life to the fullest. And I mean, to the fullest. Um, <laughs> so I love talking with Avril. It's super cool getting into her mind. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. How's your training today? <laughs> Good. I just finished. I just raced back from the gym and like blow dried my hair so it wasn't disgustingly sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Where, how was it growing up in Australia and what were you like as a kid? Clearly, you didn't like PE much, but <laughs> tell me more. I didn't like to do PE in school. I hated like physical activity in school because, really? yeah, because, um, we weren't able to shower after we like did it and our uniform was like hot and thick and even the summer uniform was like a long skirt it was like a short sleeve top but with like sleeves and it was just Mm -hmm. like a thick material and like we could wear the PE uniform for PE but then we had to change out of it back into the heavy uniform and be in that for the rest of the day without a shower so I was like like, you see how much I said I was like there is no way I'm getting sweaty and having to put that uniform back on. So I used to make an excuse every day. And it's so funny because now I'm like an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) So what, like, Um, so where I grew up, we lived on three acre property, but in suburbia. So my parents used to have this rule, like if we had one hour of screen time, like TV, computer, whatever, we had to have at least two hours off. And they were always trying to like force us outside and, like I mean we had toys but like most of our activities were like doing things like building things creating like forts out of the dirt pile and sticks <laughs> in the backyard like climbing trees we had yeah. a lot of good climbing trees in the yard 
we had a big swimming pool like yeah I grew up like super outdoorsy oh hang on let me turn that off um yeah like super outdoorsy kid lifestyle very active and very sporty and like I loved sports and I played almost all of them like any sport that was available I played it and I was ne- I was always like good enough that I would like make the team but I was never the best at anything the only thing that I was like really good at was long distance running especially like cross country and I think that was just because like you didn't have to actually be fast you just had to be good at like not giving up and pushing it <laughs> was like oh I'm tired and you just like keep going and then so you win <laughs> I'd win the school cross country and then I'd do all right at like the districts and the regionals and stuff but I never made it I think maybe once I made it to state level but like never really did like that good you know good but not amazing Um, and was it like did you want to be better like was it like oh man I want to be an athlete or you're just like yeah whatever like yeah so so people were always like because I was like pretty smart at school um it all that stuff came pretty like I don't know easy to me and um so all my teachers were kind of like what are you going to do with your life like you can do anything you want which is not very helpful because (laughs) you have too many options like it's impossible to choose and but I kind of had like a feeling like I really wanted to be an athlete but I wasn't good enough at any sport that like, because I felt so embarrassed to say, oh, I want to be an athlete because I felt like if I said that out loud, people would be like, at what? <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> yeah. So I kind of like kept that to myself for a long time. And um, it wasn't until I found boxing and even the first few years that I did boxing, it was really just a hobby. Like I was fighting and I would, you know, win fights. Most of them I won. I, I lost a few which were really good lessons, but yeah. So, but even that, yeah, it was a hobby when I first started doing it. And it wasn't until I ended my marriage and was like, so we're going to talk about this, I'm sure later, but my ex and I owned and ran a gym together in Australia. And so that was kind of like, I was tied to that and I loved it. But when the marriage ended, it was like, okay, like I don't need to do this anymore. I can do anything I want with my life. I can be anywhere I want in the world. So, you know, like what's important to me and what do I want to really have a go at? And I thought, you know what, like, I reckon I could be really good at boxing if I actually try like and put all into it, like make it my life and not just like a hobby. And uh, so that I didn't really take boxing seriously till I was like 28, 29. Wow, uh, that's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. When when you were a kid, did you always kind of have that mindset that was like, man, I can do whatever the heck I want to do in this life? Or did you kind of grow into that that mindset? Uh, yes and no. So like, yes, in the sense of like, if I got something in my head that I was going to do it, then I was going to do it. And I had full confidence that like, that was what was going to happen. Um, for example, like I got kicked out of home when I was 15. And the reason being is for exactly that reason is because I had a lot of self-belief and my parents didn't really have the same belief in me. So they were um, sending me to like a private school paying like top dollar school fees and stuff like that. And they, you know, exam week could be coming up and they thought I should be at home studying and whatever. But I was like, I know it, like, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm going to pass, like, not only pass, like, I'm going to get A's on this so easy. I don't need to be sitting at home. So I had a job um, that I wanted to work all the time, because that was 
my parents never gave me any money. So that was my only way to freedom was to work at this job. Plus I had like all my friends there, it was fun. I wanted to have a social life as every teenager does, which my parents also didn't really like. And then I wanted to play all the sports as well. Like the, not not the in-school sports, like the extracurricular sports on the weekends and stuff. So I had a very busy life outside of school and my parents didn't really like it, especially when the exams were coming up. And we'd always have big arguments about what I should and shouldn't be doing. And I was like, I got this, like, it's fine. And anyway, one time we had this huge, big argument. I can't remember actually what the catalyst was. I think I wanted to like go out with my friends and my parents are like, you're not going anywhere. And I was like, well, I am. And, <laughs> and they were like, well, if you leave, don't come back. And I was like, okay. So I like packed my school bag full of all my books and all my things that I think I need. And I went and uh, moved into my friend's attic for like a couple of weeks before my <laughs> mom figured out where I was and <laughs> dragged me back home. <laughs> so, so much for kicking me out forever. But um, anyway, while I was like 15, 16, I was like in, out, in, out, because that was just the cycle that would constantly happen was they would, uh, you know, they would say, get out, whatever. And we'd have a big fight and then... Uh, and then they'd be like, oh, you know, where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> Come back home. And I'd be like, well, why? Like, you just told me that I can't do what I want to do. And they'd be like, okay, well, this this term, we're going to do it your way. And if you don't, if you get anything less than straight A's, then that's it. Like, it's our way or, you know, whatever. And I'd just be like, okay, okay. But they wouldn't even give me a chance to actually prove myself because when the exam week would approach, they would start to freak out again. And then so you know, it'd be like the same cycle, I'd end up getting kicked out. And then anyway, it was like um, at the start of year 12, my final year of school, when I got kicked out, I ended up moving in with a friend of mine's uh, ex-boyfriend and his friends. So they were a few years older. They'd finished school there at university. And it was like a house a house of four boys and me and I lived in this they had this room that was so small it was like I think it was meant to be a study it barely fit my single bed in like just and then I could fit a clothes rack also like next to the single bed that I had to climb on the bed to be, like get to the clothes rack <laughs> and that's how small this room was but they rented it to me for $30 a week which I could afford on my supermarket worker wage so it was perfect so then when my parents were like come back home I was like hell no like I'm good because every other time I was like sleeping at a friend's parents house kind of thing and right. I did feel like I was sort of like you know they were happy to house me and happy to look after me but I also felt like you know I was I was a bit of an intrusion and they would rather not me not be there because you know they know that my parents <laughs> would not be happy if they knew it. you know they just parents mm. are weird like that so were your parents of, like oh sorry I don't mean to, but were your parents like like legitimately mad like don't come back or it was just like ah like get out here and like okay whatever yeah. like so what so what would happen yeah. is like it would be me and my dad that would have yeah. a big fight and he would kick me out and then it would be my mom that would be like ringing around trying to find out where I was begging me to come back home and stuff like that and then Aww. when I would eventually come back home my dad and I wouldn't talk for like a week and then finally we'd like end up having to make eye contact at some stage and, like, and talk it out and figure it out yeah so, so it's kind of 
but yeah so when I ended up moving into this house and my parents were like come back home I was like hell no I'm good and so I did almost all of year 12 living in this party house with these boys and I had so much fun like I had the one of the best years ever and um I passed school in like the top five percent of the state But over the course of the year, even though I wasn't coming back home, I did start talking to my parents again um, because my brother and sister still lived at home. So after a few months of not talking, my parents realized like I was not coming back home and they kind of like lost me. But the only way to have any kind of influence in my life, I guess, was to like half go along with what I was doing. So I would go over there and, you know, hang out, chat, whatever, hang out with my brother and sister and uh, my parents a little bit. And we had like a good enough relationship. And, um, but yeah, I was just like, no, I'm not moving back home. I'm not, I'm done with being controlled and told what to do and stuff like that. And uh, didn't, I just didn't trust them to like, you know, I was in a good situation. I didn't trust them to like, try and take that away from me again so um, was your would you say that you're like are they overly controlling would you say or was your dad overly controlling or are you just like just hated anytime anyone put any type of boundaries on you type thing uh, I think it was both I think mm-hmm. because I'm the oldest child I was the experiment uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you're a little mm-hmm. kid your parents can literally tell you what to do because if you don't then they pay your bills and they don't feed you or they don't take away your toys or they don't like they pick you up and physically handle you that you can't (laughs) do anything but so I think my parents um you know I, I was the oldest child and they'd always been able to use their power as adults to stop you know to keep control of me basically but as I got older and I had my own money and I got a taste of freedom and independence and I was not giving that up again it was sort of like they they lost their control and so they were trying to control me in other ways by like kicking me out but when they realized that wasn't working either I think they were like oh shit what do we got now (laughs) but um I feel like and you can probably verify this oh sorry what do you mean but I feel like um Australians like when we when I went backpacking backpacking for a year or not for a year but after I finished my university years I got backpacking and every time I went to a hostel I swear the Australians hands down were the hardest partiers and like the funnest time for sure (laughs) so yeah that's what a lot of people tell me actually Australians are a good time like I think the thing about Australians is we're very social and like we'll just we're friendly we're friendly and Mm -hmm. we're laid back and we like to have a good time so the combination of those things like when we're traveling it's sort of like how like yes yes to everything (laughs) yes to another drink yes to jump off that roof yes to (laughs) (laughs) yes to skinny dipping whatever like (laughs) yeah that sounds about right for my experiences (laughs) yeah I feel like the Australians the the UK the Brits and the Canadians like every time I went it was always like a group of us and we just loved it it was so much fun (laughs) yeah it's similar culture across all those countries I think yeah yeah so so you're in this house this this party house (laughs) yeah and so I uh I finished out school living in this house and uh I um like had the best year ever and then I 
finished, uh, I graduated like top 5% of the state and I wasn't home when my school results arrived. They arrived at my parents' house. I was like visiting my grandparents in a different state. And my mom rings me. She's like, can I open it? Your school results arrived. I'm like, oh yes, please. And I had her read through the whole thing. I was like, sorry, what was that? Sorry, sorry, what, what, what was that? <laughs> oh, okay, cool. All right. <laughs> so just to like rather them a little bit, you know? And then so after that, they were like, um, do you want to move home to do university? we won't give you problems you can do whatever you want like you know you proved yourself we get it like whatever and uh so I did I moved back home and because where they lived was close to the university that I was going so it was a lot more convenient as well and just that we we had built a better relationship while I was not living with them that I thought okay it's gonna be okay now and it was so um I went to university three weeks to do engineering and it was like two weeks in I was a bit sick I had a couple days off and when I went back after that I felt like I was so far behind that and I probably could have caught up if I could be bothered but it was that moment that I was like I don't even care about this like I don't even want to catch up what am I doing am I going to really spend the next four (laughs) years of my life like studying something that I don't really give a shit about and like you know it's just it was a drain and I had a few more days to decide if you quit before a certain date then you don't have to pay for it and so I was like okay I got a few days to decide and I was just like yeah no not doing it like maybe I'll go back in the future I don't know but for now like nah and so my parents were a bit sad that I, <laughs> after all that, I left university and my dad was like, okay, well, if you're going to quit, like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to travel the world because he had <laughs> traveled the world like a lot before, I guess, my parents got married and had kids and whatever. And he would always tell me stories. We would, that was like one of the things we really connected on was um, as I was growing up, he would get like a map out or an atlas or something and uh, remember those things before google maps (laughs) and he put it on the table and he'd like point to different things or you know we'd see like a travel show on tv or whatever and he'd be like oh i've been there and he'd tell me stories and show me photos and stuff like that so i always had this curiosity about the world and wanting to travel since i was really young and that was all i wanted to do was just like explore and travel and see what was out there and i didn't want to just get like stuck at university so um, so yeah I told him I was like I was going to travel the world and he was like obviously devastated that I wasn't going to university but I think he was kind of like really proud that I wanted to travel like, okay well like how are you going to fund this traveling of the world and I was like I'm going to work in bars and he was like okay I was 17 at the time he's like all right well if you're going to quit university you should get a job in a bar not really thinking that I could I was like okay I had a friend, an older friend who I had lived with at one point when I got kicked out of home, um, who his girlfriend was working in this like Coyote Ugly style bar and they were doing auditions that week. And she was like, yeah, come with me. And I was like, okay. So I went and (laughs) got up on that bar and danced. (laughs) And uh, I got the yeah, that was really fun and I don't think they well they didn't realize that I was only 17 I think they just assumed that I was already 18 which is the drinking age in Australia and the age <laughs> work in a place like that and uh, it was three weeks before my 18th birthday 
that we were planning my birthday party, my 18th, and the managers, I think, overheard and they were like, wait, how old are you turning? And I was like, oh, 18. <laughs> They're like, uh, okay, you're going to take a three-week holiday till after your birthday. It <laughs> 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 so was kind of where I finished up working there because as soon as I turned 18, I got a passport and I took off one way to uh, Europe. <laughs> so, and I stayed over there till I ran out of money. And uh, my parents gave me a really good bit of advice before I went, actually. They said, don't not do anything because it costs too much money. They said, if you need to borrow some money, just call us. You have to pay it back, but call us and we'll lend you a little bit just to like get you by and then you need to come home. But like, <laughs> <I'm> not like, <laughs> but like, do everything you want to do because you don't know if you're going to go back, you know? And I was like, okay, right. cool. So anyway, I literally... Oh. Uh, stayed over till I spent my last dollar called my parents up and was like I need money for a plane ticket home how long total were you how long how long total were you traveling I think it was like two and a half months maybe three okay. months or so yeah right. so uh, <laughs> yeah that but that was the start of my addiction to traveling and just like living overseas and exploring and ever since like I came back from that holiday and it was like I would work to travel um every I don't think from then I was never in one place for longer than three months until until sometime a few years ago being in Miami I was here for like four months at a time one time and I remember being like oh my god I broke my record (laughs) but it took like more than 10 years do you ever do you ever get like tired of it because I found I just did it for a month and I loved it It it's super fun but it was like man I'm kind of tired of starting over every new place did that ever cross your mind or not really I wasn't living overseas every single time Mm. like it wasn't like I was moving every three months I had my base on the Gold Coast I lived in the Gold Coast of Australia and so that was like my base from when I was 18 to 28 that was where I lived but every three months I would go somewhere whether it just was like for a week or for a weekend Ah, or three weeks or a month or whatever but I never had like longer than three months without going somewhere kind of thing and then it was when I was 28 that was when I moved to America so actually when I was 21 I moved to um Ibiza in Spain I did no way yeah I did a summer in Ibiza and then I went I lived in Leeds in England in the north of England for a bit after and my plan when I went, actually, when I was, I went when I was 20, I was planning on staying for like four years. I wanted to do a bunch of summers and winters, but the first summer was really fun. And then I was in Leeds in England and it was September. And I remember waking up one morning and being like, I have never been this cold in my entire life. <laughs> it was September, what the fuck? I don't know if I can do this. And uh, so I looked at plane tickets home and yeah, and because the seasons are opposite, as you know, for Australia yeah. to the Northern Hemisphere. And I thought, okay, I could buy a return ticket. I could be home for the summer and I could just be back for next summer. Why do I need to do a horrible winter in the north of England and uh, so I went back to Australia and a few months later that was actually where I met my ex uh, who I ended up marrying and so I never did that I mean I went back to Europe but just for a holiday I never ended up living again in Europe like you know until I was living in America and we had split and I was doing the summers in Greece and then living in Miami oh my gosh I love that (laughs) your life (laughs) 
like living vicariously <laughs> through your story right now <laughs> um, but the whole time where Australia was your base this whole time you were still doing bartending gigs or how are you kind of sustaining your travel addiction <laughs> okay so from when I was 18 to 21 I was working in nightclubs and then I told you when I uh, moved to Ibiza I was living I was working in nightclubs um, when I was living in Leeds I started out working in a bar but it was like cold and I don't know it's like just not the same vibe working in a bar there it's more like you have to actually know how to make cocktails and stuff I was more like a... <laughs> I was more the kind of bartender she's like woo behind the bar like spreading good vibes and like I could pour 20 drinks at once but like vodka sodas bourbon cokes like the simple ones you know but I could like I could pump out volume I was like a nightclub yeah. bartender not like a uh, not a bar like a corner bar which is the vibe in Leeds really I mean they have nightclubs okay. there too but it's more like um you have to know your cocktails and Got I it. did it and I actually worked, I worked a job in a bar and they gave me a list of like 100 cocktails and like okay memorize these by tomorrow and I was like <laughs> yeah not gonna happen <laughs> I, went to, I went the next day and they were like testing me on the cocktails I got a few right actually because they were like you know some of the more common simple ones and then I ended up just having a whipped cream fight with one of the employees and I got fired on that day <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah. So uh, after that, I worked in another bar doing like promo for their opening night. And while I was while I was doing the promo, um, all the customers that would come through, I you know, because I was just like some promo girl, I don't know, on the floor trying to. I can't even remember what my actual job was. Maybe selling <laughs> shots or something. Or I have no idea. But um, I was just you know talking to the people in the bar, and I was like, okay, so what do you do? Do you need a receptionist? <laughs> just trying to like, get another job while I was doing this job in this bar and uh, one guy was actually like actually yeah you know what I, I could do with some help in the office and I was like perfect I'll be there on Monday <laughs> enough bar. So, yeah he was paying me like five pounds an hour and a wage that I could like barely live off and I think he knew that but I don't think he expected me to actually be like good at my job so after a few weeks, after a few weeks, he would like, he would drop because he would, um, I would get the bus to work, but he would drop me off on his way home because I was like on his way. And uh, he would stop at the supermarket across the road from my house and he'd be like, he'd come in with me and I'd be like, oh yeah, I just need to get a few things. He'll be like, oh, me too. And he'd like pay for my groceries. And oh, on yeah. Friday afternoon, he'd give me like an extra bonus hundred pounds to go out for the weekend. And, you know, he like kind of realized he was paying me like, next to nothing and uh yeah so when I came back to Australia I was working in my old nightclub job again and um I was just drinking and partying and getting really drunk like every single night even at work which is fully not allowed in Australia it get you get away with it in Europe but you can't it's like America you can't do that here or there I mean (laughs) I don't think you can do it here and um so it was a few weeks in and I got fired from that job too, actually, for being really wasted at work. And I, rather than going home and sleeping, I partied for like three days straight. And I, the reason that my boss knew that I was wasted was because I lived with him. 
So there was no like getting around it. It was like, I'm sorry to do this because I know we're friends, but like it, this is a business and a company and it's not okay. And I was just like, okay. And it was at that point that I was just like, you know what? Like I'm ruining my life. I can't, not even a friend is like going to keep me in a job if I'm behaving mm-hmm. like this. Like it's, it's not okay. And around that time I met my ex who, okay, so rewind a little bit. When I came back from Europe, I had a stopover in Taipei. I was there for 24 hours. I was on my own and I was traveling around like being a tourist because I have one day to explore this city and I was taking selfies. This is back in the, the film camera, you know, like yeah. So I get back to Australia. I develop the film and I see my selfies. I had no neck. Like I'd put on 10 kilograms and at the time, you know what kilograms are, right? Yeah, it's like, it's well, I don't know the conversion, but I know it's heavier than pounds. <laughs> yeah, so I was like a 50 kilogram girl, like skinny, uh-huh. bony, skeletal girl. And I and put 10 kilograms on that frame, like 20% of my body weight I put on. So it was like, <laughs> like 10 kilograms, uh, 22 pounds, for I believe. Yeah, is the conversion. Which is a lot. I'm like a little girl. Yeah. (laughs) On a, what would that be? 110 pound girl to put, yeah, 20 20 pounds on. on. Yeah. Anyway, I put like 10 kilograms on. And uh, I realized, I didn't realize because I have, it's good, but not in a way. When I put on weight, I don't like put it on my thighs or put it on my boobs or my stomach or whatever. I put it on evenly over my whole body. So it's just like, I just kind of like expanded (laughs) everywhere. So when I look in the mirror, I don't really notice, especially if it's gradual, but someone else who might not have seen me in a while might be like, oh damn, she got a bit big. (laughs) So when when I was looking at the photos and I had like no neck in the photos, like my face was so round and chubby. I was like... (laughs) oh my god I need to lose weight like I'm getting fat and uh so I went on these diet pills because I didn't know anything about like exercise or nutrition Uh or whatever back then um I mean I had always my mom had always fed me healthy and my I had always been an active kid but I didn't realize like the importance of it really I know that seems like it doesn't make sense but I just didn't realize I didn't I guess I didn't put two and two together like that for weight loss because I'd never had a problem with weight loss ever in my life and so I went on these diet pills that a few of the girls in the bar were on and this stuff was like legal speed basically like you sleep three four hours a night so it was perfect because I could work all night and party I could sleep for a few hours and then I could enjoy my whole day at the beach or whatever and go to work and have all this energy and it was great so I met my ex around that time and he was a personal trainer he he had a little personal training studio and uh he we were at a party and he was like oh do you want to drink and I was like oh no 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 like I'm trying not to drink too much because um, I'm taking these tablets and you know, it makes you get really drunk really fast. So if you have just like one or two drinks, it's like having 10. And, uh, <laughs> he was like, oh, okay. And he's asking me about the pills. He's like, okay. So like what exercise are you doing? 
And I was like, oh no, just like dancing when I go out and stuff. He was like, oh God. He's like, okay. And he explained to me how it works. He's like, okay, the thing is that this, what it does, it gives you the energy to want to work out, but you don't actually like lose the weight just by taking it. It's like you have to go and exercise. Like now that you're taking, it's giving you the energy, but it doesn't work just on its own. Like you yeah. still have to do the exercise and like not drink a million calories and like <laughs> shit. Basically, I was like eating sausage rolls and Vegemite toast. That was my diet. <laughs> oh so dear. Bad. I don't get how you're so skinny. Well, I guess now I understand, but I'm just thinking about it. I'd I'm love to see it. a fat overall. Like I would just love it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find a photo. I had a oh. little chubby stage. But uh, oh, anyway, so, so he was like, I, I was like, oh, okay. He was like, okay, if you want, come to the gym on Monday and I'll just like show you a few things that you can do and some resistance exercise. It was the first time I'd ever done like lunges and planks and like, you know, all these like basic exercises. He just like showed me some basic body weight exercises and a few, how to use a few of the machines and stuff. And I was just like, oh, okay. And so uh, he's like, anytime you want, come to the studio and you can just like, you know, work out a little bit. And I was like, okay. And so I just became obsessed with trying to learn about this nutrition and health and exercise and weights and how it all worked in the human body. And I was so intrigued and I was seeing my body get results as well. So then I became more interested about like, okay, why and how and, um, and anyway, we started dating. We had been dating around this time. And so when I, the more healthy I was getting and the more I was like getting fit and skinnier and whatever, the more I was just like repulsed by alcohol and mm. I didn't want to be in that environment anymore. And so Pause, when I quick, got quite, sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. A quick question, like why during this like when you're drinking all the time why would you get drunk all the time like what was kind of going through your mind because it was fun you just want to have it a good time fun. yeah it was yeah. just like I was being wild and 21 years old and I don't know it's just the environment that I was in everyone would get wasted and we'd do stupid things and we'd laugh at each other and you know it gives you like a confidence to I don't know, misbehave, say cheeky things that is funny that you might not say otherwise you know and it was just like a, a good laugh. I didn't have any like mental problems or anything. I was fine. And I didn't feel like by not drinking alcohol, I was less confident actually. And that was a surprise to me um, because I had thought maybe I would like really miss it. So when I decided to like, so, okay, here's the timeline. I started, I got fired from my job. I started working in another job, like selling uh tickets to go on like bar crawls and I realized I was like terrible at sales like I sucked but I could still make decent money because it was just like a really lucrative job but that job was kind of like requiring me to be in the club still um, and then I start I actually got a job back with the company I got fired from but like running some of their events and the pay was like kind of shitty but I had to go into the club a couple of nights a week just to be there and I was like, Ugh, late nights, being in this environment, drinking, like, and so around that time, that was when I had started going to the gym. And so that was when alcohol was like really turning me off. And 
I made a decision. I was just like, you know what? Like, I just don't want to drink at all anymore. Like, I just want to give up. And I stopped drinking completely for about six months. And it was never my intention to give it up forever. I was just like feeling so good that I just didn't want any part of it. And I realized that I can like, I mean, I wasn't even, it's not, I realized that I could go out and have fun if I wanted to without drinking, but I didn't even want to go out. I wanted to go to bed early. I wanted to like watch TV on the couch instead. (laughs) I wanted to like just train and eat healthy and be fit. And I was learning a lot as well about Mm. nutrition and exercise. And I was really fatigued at night from, you know, all the exercise I was doing and just my brain ticking because I was learning. (laughs) And, I feel like uh, you're a very uh, extreme person. Like we got, we got all or nothing. Like only yeah. have one drink. It's like no, not drinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all in. And so um, I was going to work with my ex all the time just to like learn. And he said to me, he was like, "Okay, like, what do you want to do with your life?" And I was like, "You know, like, I really want to do what you're doing. I love the lifestyle. I love that you sort of work in the morning and then in the evening you have the middle of the day free. I love that." it's all like it's like hanging out with your friends all day people come to see you you chit chat with them while you put them through the exercise program you make them feel good about themselves they feel good about themselves they're getting fitter like it's like this job's amazing I want to do that and he was like okay so I was doing like a lot of his admin stuff and accounting and whatever and he was teaching me how to be a personal trainer he'd let me train some of his clients and he'd sort of like shadow me and like give me advice on what I was doing wrong and right and stuff like that and um, after a few months I felt confident to like have my own clients and the thing was when I first started personal training I didn't all my friends and like network were people my age who can't afford personal training but they could afford group training and they saw the Um, transformation and the changes in my body and what I was doing and um, they wanted to get fit and look really good and feel good as well so I started doing a lot of group training sessions that over the years just like grew and grew and became really popular and that was kind of the reason we went from like a little personal training studio into a bigger one into a bigger one into like a huge gym and yeah it was really exciting so over those years that we were together we grew this gym into like this huge big thing so and it turned into like a like a partnership it was like your gym as well and both of your guys together as you yeah yeah it was a partnership I mean every so yeah that was kind of like the thing when we split it was pretty much everything Uh, his name but it was like, you know, like mm-hmm. I put my money in here. We both worked for the cause sort of, and we were married. We, we got married after like two years. So for pretty much the whole time we were together for seven. So we, yeah. Wow. So it was like, everything was just, you know, in a pool sort of thing. When did so, you, when did you start going to gym? That was 25, you said, or when, was, when did you start? I started 21. going to gym 21. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I had done Muay Thai when I was like 16 mm-hmm. for a little bit, for a few months. And the club that I was going to closed down, but I was in love with this sport. And then it was around when I was maybe like 22, 23-ish, uh, we found a friend of a friend of ours was doing Muay Thai with this coach. And so he would come to our gym and train like four of us, like one, 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 one in our lunch break. And uh so that was when I got into Muay Thai again. But for me, Muay Thai was just like fitness. I loved it. I would go to Thailand all the time to train. It was like a little addiction <laughs> to me. But I never had any interest in fighting because for me, Muay Thai is like two people stand in front of each other and just like hit and kick the shit out of each other. And 
whoever's tougher and can take more punishment is probably going to win the fight. I mean, there is like some skill involved as well, of course, but um, after a few months of doing, or a few years actually of doing Muay Thai, just, you know, that training, I broke my foot in training one day. Uh. Yeah. But it was like my big toe and like where the toe connects to the foot sort of thing. So I could hobble around the outside of my foot. I just couldn't throw kicks and knees because I couldn't put the foot back on the ground. And (laughs) so that was how I got into boxing because uh, I, it was all I could do. I couldn't run, couldn't jump, like nothing else. And so, yeah, I started boxing and the coach I had at the time, he started teaching me more than just like hitting the mitts and throwing combos. He was like, okay, if I throw this, you move your head here, here's your defenses, here's what you got. And so then I was like, oh, defense, okay. Like someone threw punches at me, I need to see how this works. And so I just wanted to fight just to test myself. And I had my first fight and I was just addicted. It was like the best adrenaline rush and uh, rewind something I missed out on talking about was I used to do these like modeling pageants no so way. yeah so yeah. when I first started working in um, the nightclubs I was like 18 years old and I was working in the bar one night and they were doing like a, a little modeling pageant in the in the bar and so every week they'd have a heat and then after four or five weeks or whatever they'd have the finals if you got through to the finals you get 200 bucks and if you um came first in the final you got two thousand dollars second was a thousand and third was like 500 bucks so anyway one night i'm working in the bar they didn't have enough girls in one of the heats and so they were like going to the bar girls who wants to go in it? Like, we'll leave you on the clock. You know, you still get paid, whatever. And then, you know, if you go through, then you can have the night off to compete in the final. And I was like, sure, I'll do it. Whatever. Like, it was whatever. I went in, I ended up coming second in this thing. And I was like, hell yes, sign me up for every single one. Let's go. So I started doing them in like all the nightclubs because all the nightclubs in town had like their different ones. And it was just like this cycle. And so I wasn't always winning them at first because, you know, I was like, had this little, I was very skinny and I was like, you know, kind of cute, whatever, but I had this little like drinking belly from alcohol. So I was like, sometimes I'd do well, sometimes I wouldn't, but whatever, it was a bit of fun. I'd always make like at least a few hundred bucks and whatever, <laughs> it was a good time. And uh, your, your life is like, uh, have you ever seen on Instagram, like the yes people or something that just say yes to everything that pops up in their life? I literally feel like that's your life. You're like the living experiment of saying yes. (laughs) Yeah, but that's kind of my attitude. Like if it sounds fun, try it. Fuck it. Why not? Like let's see what happens. If I don't like it, I just don't have to do it anymore. Um, But at least, yeah, like I had a go. And uh, so, okay. So that was how I got into like doing these little pageants. And um, then when I started getting fit, Uh, And I was telling you that like the girls that I know, they were all like, oh, oh, like, how are you getting fit? Whatever. I started winning everything because now I was like cute, but I had a better body than anybody (laughs) because I was like really fit, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I started winning everything, whatever. And um, I was like going competing internationally at like the, you know, overseas ones as well. Uh, Because if you win like the local ones, you go to the national final. And then if you win the national final, you go to the world finals and all this stuff. And um 
it was becoming like, like I still love doing the pageant thing. It was really fun and a bit of an adrenaline rush. But when I started boxing, it was like, whoa, this is even better. <laughs> it's like the same thing, like where you're on stage and you have to perform and like think and, you know, put on a show and whatever. But it's like you've got someone coming at you and directly competing with you and trying to kill you at the same time. So it was like, yeah, even better. And um boxing you can just like never stop learning from it I feel like pageants are like even though you can do your best and there's you know little things you can do to kind of give yourself an advantage and stuff like that um at the end of the day it's subjective it's you know the judges might like the look of another girl better than you and whatever so now you don't win but with boxing, I mean, I guess boxing is subjective in a way too. They could like the style of another girl better than the way you fought. And I definitely lost a few fights, I think, based on that, where I fully thought I won, but apparently I didn't. But yeah, I mean, that's what it is. But it's, but boxing is a little more, uh, yeah, if you land more punches or you knock the girl out, you're going to win. <laughs> so, yeah, hard to argue if you're yeah opponents flat on their back there <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 if you knock them out there's no questions yeah. so um yeah so that was kind of like what I'm I'm very competitive and that was kind of like what really drove me into boxing um, your first boxing match were you like scared at all I feel like you just didn't give two shits <laughs> I was very nervous like okay. I was excited but I was super mm-hmm. super nervous and it wasn't it wasn't nervous about like being hit or anything like that it was more nervous about like am I going to remember everything I've learned and put on a good performance I just Mm. wanted so badly to win and I but I so badly wanted to win like nicely you know like I wanted to like I don't know you see boxing you know other box because it was a, a whole day of boxing and so you see some real talent in the other fights and um you look at these people and you're like damn like I hope I look like that I hope I look as good as they do like clean technique and just like really good I definitely did not look like that I probably look like an absolute roller but I did win the fight I remember it was like halfway through the third round before all of a sudden my brain came back to me and I was like okay like what do I know what have I actually like being taught how can I what, what do I need to do here the whole thing was just I don't know I was running on adrenaline I have no memory of anything that happened it was just like a scrap so and that was my first fights were like that oh that's super super cool and then you've been yeah. and so but that at that time it was still a hobby or that time your first fight you were like professional or your first fight it was still kind of a hobby thing for you oh uh, yeah no it was a hobby so I had um, 11 fights in Australia um and that entirely was like completely a hobby and then when I moved to America I moved because I wanted to like give boxing a proper go so when I moved I was still amateur I ended up having 20 fights altogether so I had like nine of them in America and but even though as an amateur like I was I was taking it seriously because I the reason I moved here was I recognized so I told you that I was doing these pageants and a lot of the national finals were in America or maybe in Mexico but you know I was with a lot of Americans and when especially when I compete in Vegas I started to get to know a few of the media people that would come to the pageants and they got to know me and that I was a boxer so one of the pageants um I 
one of the guys was like, oh, you're going to go to some of the boxing gyms here. I was like, oh, I'd love to. But the thing is like, it's unless you know somebody to get you in, it's impossible because they're so like closed. It's not like someone from the public can just like walk in, you know? (laughs) And uh, he was like, oh, well, I know a few people I can like line you up with. And I was like, oh my God, yes. (laughs) So I went to some of these gyms and just like being around the boxing in Vegas and stuff. I met a lot of people and I started to realize that America is really the center of the universe for boxing. UK is, you know, you can do really well in the UK as well, but America is really like where it's at for, I think probably for most sports, but especially with boxing. And I realized that there's nothing going on in Australia. Even the best male boxers in Australia, male boxers have other jobs. Like it's not a viable career to just be a boxer. And in my opinion, like how are you ever going to be the best at your sport if you have to have another job and you can't like just put everything into it. You can't like after training, go and rest. You have to like go to a job, you know? And I think, you know, we have had a very small amount, maybe a couple of Australian guys that have got right to the top, but most Australians, they will fall short. You know, they'll, they'll get their world title shot and then they fall short. And I think part of that is to do with what I said. And another part of it is to do with because we're so far away from the rest of the world, you have a small boxing community in Australia. And so your sparring partners are very limited. And the style of the sparring you get is also very limited. Whereas here in America, you have the best of Europe, the best of America, the best of South America, the best of so many countries and so many different styles are here. And so you can see almost any different style in sparring on a regular training day, you know, that you can practice with. And so when you get in the fight, it's like, there's not too many surprises. It's like, okay, I've been in this situation before. I've, I've sparred a style of fighter like this before. Whereas Australia, we don't necessarily get those same, um, ex- that same exposure. Yeah. So yeah, I, I realized basically that if I, wanted to take boxing seriously and I wanted to like go far with it I really needed to be in America and the sooner I could get there the better because um you know it like even though I was planning on staying amateur for a little while like just by fighting here as an amateur you meet so many people in boxing and boxing is a lot who you know like of course it's what you know as well like you have to be talented but you have there are super super high level extremely talented guys that I know that nobody knows and they don't get any opportunities because they don't sell tickets and they don't you know have a huge fan club so that's a side of boxing that a lot of people might not know about so you're in in boxing like you're responsible to some degree you're responsible for selling your own tickets kind of thing and creating that fan base hundred percent. Yeah. Boxing is a popularity contest, which is kind of sad, but for me, it's worked out great because I had the popularity (laughs) from modeling and, you know, the other things that I was doing. So it was sort of like, okay, whatever, like, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to like take advantage. And I recognized this early. And so I've like made sure I capitalized on it. And it was interesting when I moved here, actually, like, so I was working as a model because boxing wasn't like paying my bills. Um, so I was working as a model, but I was like here, I was here to box kind of. Um, right. And I booked a lot of modeling jobs because of boxing. And really, um, yeah, a lot. 
there were like some examples. Um, I got a call one day. What's his name? I was filming a film clip for Don Omar and, you know, the Latin singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was filming a film clip that the theme of the film clip was about a girl that was a boxer. And the girl that was the main character in the film clip, amazing dancer, like phenomenal. And they'd given her a boxing lesson a couple of days before the fight, thinking that she'd just be able to pick it up and do it. And they realized like, oh, she doesn't really look that good as a boxer. <laughs> and so they called me up, the casting, one of the casting director, he knew from just me going to castings that I was a boxer because we'd chatted before and he was like, I know a girl. And so he called me up and I was her body double for all the boxing scenes. So they'd film me boxing like from behind. We had like no similar shaped body and stuff. Yeah. The song was... Uh, uh, how do you say I want you for me in Spanish? Quiero para, Yo quiero tú para mí, I think. Uh, something like that. That's the name of the song, yeah. yeah. Anyway, and uh, yeah, so all the boxing scenes, that's actually me. <laughs> so like, yeah, that was one. Um, another one was like this company was making, like they had an app where the it was going to help businesses to not have warehousing costs was like a feature of the business or whatever. And so to demonstrate the no more warehousing costs, they were throwing boxes at me and I had to punch these boxes in the air, (laughs) but they wanted someone who looked like they could punch for real. So like so many random things that was nothing to do with like apparel or boxing gear or anything but it was like because I was a boxer I got these jobs and the casting directors knew who I was and um yeah stuff through like that. just straight your bubbly personality like how do you have all these connections or was it through social media like where most of these things come through uh some from social media but also like just you know with so I when I moved here and I started I mean I was I found I had an agency here at oh, the okay. start and so this agency would send me to like every single casting and then while I'm at the castings they ask you things about yourself like okay your name age turn around show your front your side whatever talk about yourself and tell us about your hobbies just because they want to see you talk on camera and they want to see your personality they're like mm-hmm. well this morning I have boxing training and I have a fight next week and they'll be like whoa, 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 whoa. and then I'd like to have a conversation with the casting directors and you know we yeah like they knew who I was and what I did and stuff like that. So then if a boxing job came in on their table, sometimes they wouldn't even audition for it. They're just like, we have the girl, we know her. <laughs> so that oh, was cool. so cool. You like yeah. created your own little niche, like within modeling. <laughs> that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. And then, um, so you decided that you wanted to pursue it professionally. Um, how, and then you knew that, like, what is the way? So you have to sell your own tickets or whatever to, to monetize it. Yeah, so um, I wanted to use the amateurs, like amateur boxing, as a, uh, like, basically training tool. Because, so remember I told you when I first started fighting, it was like I was just so overcome by adrenaline that you're not thinking, you're like, you're just kind of reacting. I was always like that, but 
I would usually snap into the fight like somewhere halfway through the first round. But though that first like minute or two of the first round, I was just like, hey, what's going on? Like, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, until I have at least like five fights in a row where I can go from the very first bell to the very end of the fight, be like calm, calculated, thinking, reacting and relaxed. That's when I'll know I'm ready to turn pro. I just didn't want to turn pro and be like, not gotten over that yet so I had yeah 20 fights and after I had 20 fights um a bunch of the guys from the gym that I trained at were um training on this pro fight card and there was an opportunity for me to get on they were like they had a couple of spots to fill and my coach said to me he's like hey like are you ever going to turn pro like you could fight on this card with all the guys they're going and fighting. And I was just like, okay, like, I guess, yeah, fuck it. Like this is the goal. I feel ready. And there was an opportunity. And uh, so I just felt like, you know, it, it must be the time all the signs are pointing in the right direction. And that fight was in Dominican Republic in a place that looked like a jail <laughs> and uh oh my god so it was so funny I didn't know that apparently in Dominican Republic and maybe it is in America too but it's there it's essential to have breast protectors and so I've turned up and I didn't have breast protectors and I get in the ring and the ref says to me do you have breast protectors then and I was like no stupid me I should have just said yes like you always just say yes <laughs> what are they gonna do like feel it and check like no they're not they just say yes and uh he was like oh well I'm sorry but you can't fight like it's a, you need to get some and I was like what the fuck I don't have some like I'm in the ring ready to fight like where they've done like they've called everyone like we've entered the ring we're about to like the bell's about to go off and the ref's telling me that I can't fight a girl from the crowd she pulled her inserts out of her like sports bra or whatever and gave them to me. And my coach had to like put them in my top. He's like, <laughs> and, but these are like spongy inserts, like from a sports bra. Like, what are they going to do? But it was more just like, I had to have something. They had to yeah. like appear like they were following the rules, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, this is such a joke. And apparently they were going to protect my boobs. So anyway, but um, yeah, I got to fight, thank God. But I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I came all the way to Dominican Republic. Like I'm fired up. I'm ready to give my first fight. And it's going to be taken away from me before he starts. Like, fuck off. And then I <laughs> let go in the crowd. That was hilarious. I'll never forget that. <laughs> Did you and, win it? Uh, Did you beat the, the chick? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My, my first two mm-hmm. fights were both in Dominican Republic. And I was really pissed so my first fight this girl she came out she looked the part but she came out and just like barely threw a punch and was just kind of like covering and backing away and like sort of randomly swinging a punch out every now and again she was so bad like so bad I didn't know who I was fighting or what I was getting into they just told me like yeah they've got an opponent for you it's fine and I was like Okay, cool. Like I had no idea. I found out later she had zero wins and 17 losses. This girl is literally just a paycheck collector. She just, she's probably never had a boxing lesson in her life. She just gets (laughs) in the ring, puts some gloves on. Yeah. Like it was a joke. And I was so pissed off because 
So we went the first round and she just kind of like ran away from me the whole time and like covered up and ran away and whatever. And then uh, in the second round, she just quit on the stool. Like she didn't come out for the second round. So I won, but for 24 hours after the fight, I couldn't be happy. I was so upset. I was just like, what the fuck was that? Like, that was bullshit. Because when you fight in the amateurs, it's like people are there to win. Like it's actually a hard fight. And I didn't even realize that that, that's, that goes on in the pros. Like there's fights where people will literally just turn up to collect a paycheck. They don't even want to win. They don't give a shit. And uh, so after that, anyway, eventually after 24 hours, like, okay, whatever. Like I turned pro officially now. So (laughs) like, whatever, I've got my first win. Like, even though it was a stupid win, like, fuck it, whatever, like job done. Let's move on to the next. And I said to my coach, I don't ever want to fight like that ever again. Like that was ridiculous. And so a few months later, um, there was another opportunity for me to fight again in the Dominican Republic. And I said to my coach, I was like, okay, but like, is this going to be a legit fight or like what, you know, because I don't want to fight another fight like last time. That was just stupid. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this girl should at least give you four rounds. She's good. Like um, there was another girl that I had been sparring a few times that had turned pro and she had fought this girl. And she was like, yeah, they went four rounds. Like she's good, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. So obviously I'm like really nervous and, you know, like, okay, I've got like a good opponent. Like I've got to perform, you know? (laughs) And uh, I get there, this girl was like 160 pounds. Like, I don't know what they did to the scales at the weigh-ins to make her whatever the weight was that we (laughs) weighed up. This girl was so big. I knocked her out in like 58 seconds. I was like... What the fuck? Again, like similar story. I think this girl had like three wins and also a stupid amount of losses as well. And I was just like, okay, I'm done with the Dominican Republic. <laughs> that was fucked up. Like, I think for the boys, they have good competition fighting in the Dominican Republic. But for the girls, like, I'm sure there must be good Dominican Re- Re- Republic female fighters out there, but. I don't know, like these, I don't know where they found these girls from, but it was like such a bad experience. I was just like, okay, whatever. Like I got another win, whoop-de-doo, but like this is not the type of fights I want to be having. That's ridiculous. So, Well, you're um, probably, because you, how long is your training? Like up to a fight, how what's your training period or whatever? Like I know you're training all the time. At least least two months. uh, Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm training all year round, but like for at least two months before, or at least five weeks before a fight, I'm like fully dialed in, fully focused. I'm making sacrifices. I'm not going out. I'm not like, you know, I'm eating like really good for at least five weeks before the fight. So then mm-hmm. to turn up and that's what you get, you're like, <laughs> why did I bother? Like, what the fuck? And yeah. Uh, so yeah, after that, I was like, I'm done with the Dominican Republic. Like no more of that bullshit. And yeah. Uh, a few months later, I um, signed with MTK, which is like one of the biggest boxing management companies or the biggest boxing management company in the world. And they're based in Dubai or the UK, but most of their fighters are in the UK. I think their head office is actually in Dubai though. But anyway, and uh, so since after that second fight, I've been with them and that's been amazing because they've got me like good fights. My third fight I told them about my starting out experience and I was like, I want like a challenge for my next fight. Like I want like a really good girl. 
So I fought a girl. She had like five wins, five losses and like one draw, I think. But her five losses were all to girls that either went on to be world champions or like at least number one, like super high level losses, you know? So I was just like, okay, like this is going to be a really good fight. I'm excited for it. Um, I thought I won that fight. It ended up being a draw. That's what my one draw is. But damn, it was a good fight. And I was so happy. I had, that was the one. Have you seen my black eye video? Yeah, someone has shown me on the beach. (laughs) She headbutted me like seven times in the fight. It was accidental. Like it was like her style. She would come in with her head Uh down and she was shorter than me. She'd be throwing punches and she put her head up. And so she'd smack her head into the top of mine and ended up with like a really big egg on my head. Uh, At the end of the fight, my head was like out here. And I feel like that was why maybe I didn't win the fight was because maybe a couple of the judges. So one judge gave it to me, one judge gave it to her and the other judge called it a draw. And uh, I feel like maybe I lost rounds based on my appearance. (laughs) (laughs) Getting in the head like 24-7. Right, well, they were probably thinking her because the headbutts were not being called. The ref was not doing anything about them, not being acknowledged, like nothing like that. So... I think they probably thought that her punches were more powerful than what they were, but it was from bit like you you don't yeah. get you don't look like that from uh, punches. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no, like I was getting smacked in the head with like concrete. <laughs> so yeah, so that was brutal. But um, quick question: what what is like the ranking system? Like, how does it? What are you looking at as a judge? Uh you the. So this is another thing where I said boxing is kind of subjective. You're looking at the which fighter is more dominate dominant. Okay. And dominant, like if you're throwing more punches, that obviously looks more dominant. Mm-hmm. If you're controlling the fight, so maybe you so if you're like going forward and pressing the action and backing the other person up, you are probably being more dominant. But if you're being backed up, but as you're being backed up, you're like punching and you're making their punches miss, then Mm -hmm. you're controlling the fight and you're the one being dominant, even though you're going backwards. So it is possible to still be the dominant one, even if you're moving backwards. Um, What if you like, well, sorry, go for it. I was going to say that's like a Floyd Mayweather style. He's usually more going backwards, but he's not getting hit and he's countering and landing his shots and then he's making them miss. So that's kind of like the dominant backwards style. Um, And then just like volume of punches, like whoever's landing more will typically win. Um, But like landing, not necessarily just throwing and hitting the gloves. But that's where it can get confusing is because you have a a different judge on a different side of the ring. So from Mm -hmm. different angles, the fight can look a little different too. And so that's why you get discrepancies between judges because one judge might see that you clearly won the round. Whereas from a different angle, the judge might not realize that even that your opponent was throwing a lot of punches, but they were landing on the gloves or they weren't actually landing on your face mm-hmm. or your, you know, your body or whatever. And so to that judge, it looks like this person scored a lot of punches. Right. So, yeah. What if you would be like dominating the whole entire match and then at the end of the match, someone like knocks, knocks the other person out but really they've like really done nothing the whole match but just got a lucky knockout for some reason like it was still go to the person person, the person who knocks them out wins if you knock someone out that's it fight over you win but it doesn't matter what happened like yeah if the fight ends in knockout it doesn't matter what happened 
out as long as everything was legal then then the person that knocks them out wins yeah okay so um the other thing that can happen is like if someone in the fight sustains a really bad injury so they say that you you're either a cutter or a sweller i'm definitely a sweller as you saw with my head but some people (laughs) cut really easily like their skin like so if they copped a headbutt they would get a cut and they would bleed and um the benefits of being a sweller is that you don't deal with the cuts because if you cut and you bleed a lot like in your eyes the the ref or the doctor can stop the fight on a technical uh like Uh, it's not that the person who cut you wins it's just that the fight was stopped and then they look at the judges scorecards at that point to see who had won more rounds at that point so like just yeah just because you're the one that has the cut and the reason they ended the fight you could still win if you had won most of the rounds up to that point or you could lose if you had not won most of the rounds up to your point without finishing the fight kind of thing so that's another reason that the fight might be stopped early that's crazy was that your worst injury that you've had to date from boxing yeah uh what else have I had I've had um I mean, I broke my ankle last year, but that was from jujitsu. Um, another time I was sparring and this was a lesson to me. I was sparring outside the ring because this girl and I, she got there a little bit late to spar. And once the boys start sparring, then we lost our opportunity. We have to wait for like two hours because they just go like in, out, sort of one stays in, the next one comes in. It's not like there's a gap where we can come in and just start our sparring so she got there a little bit late the boys had already started sparring and I was like I don't have two hours to wait if you want we can just like move around on the floor like not in the ring and she's like yeah okay cool that's fine and so we were moving around just kind of like doing soft sparring and I'm always kind of like looking over my shoulder to make sure I'm not going to trip over a weight on the floor or a person or like just and I don't know a, a bench like something on the floor you're always kind of like half looking yeah. behind you to see what's there as you move around and um she threw a punch she threw a hook and I rather than like uh, just catching it or rolling under it I, I moved backwards but I like hesitated just that split second and so as I went backwards she clipped the bridge of my nose and instantly blood just went everywhere and I was like oh. <laughs> because oh, I had a fight like I think three weeks later or something I had to cancel the fight because my so I got the x-ray my nose wasn't broken on the x-ray mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean to say may, they could have been like a tiny little stress fracture or probably what it was was just like a deep bone bruise mm-hmm. um and that was you know bruise is like blood internally and it just came out and but either way I was like I'm not going into a fight where my opponent immediately has an advantage where she just punches me in the nose and blood pisses out everywhere. And then I lose because it looks like she broke my nose in the fight, but it was already fucked, you know? So that was, that was a pretty shitty injury because it was like, it was fucked, but I still couldn't, I mean, it was like fine, but like I still couldn't do anything. Um, Yeah. But when you get head, I'm sorry, when you get punched in, in the ring, when you're boxing, does it, like, do you feel it at all or you have so much adrenaline that you just don't even feel it? You feel it, but it's it's not, you're not like, ouch. <laughs> like, you're more like, fuck, like, she got me. 
I need to okay. not let that happen. Or, or every now and again, it might be like, fuck, I saw stars, like, come on, stay composed. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not like pain. You mm-hmm. feel it, but not in a painful way. Like the next day you'll feel like in a painful way. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's more like a alert, like shit, I got hit. Like be more careful or yeah. Okay. Think, yeah. <laughs> and the, the fight with that chick, was that your hardest fight to date or what was your hardest fight that you've had? Um, I mean, she was my hardest fight for the level that I was at. You know what I, I mean? Do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like I've fought girls since then that are better than like my last opponent, my last fight, she was really good, but I'm also much better now too. So mm-hmm. like, yeah. So, but as far as like, yeah, for the level I was at, I think that third fight was probably, uh, yeah, probably my hardest. My last, my last one was pretty hard. Like you saw it, that last one was tough. Yeah, she was really good. Yeah. Well, she was she was so short, like compared to you. Like we're like, damn, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. Like, yeah, she was, was so short, but the way yeah. she was using her shortness, I uh-huh. haven't I hadn't encountered that before. I hadn't seen that or experienced that before. She was like yeah. getting down to my knees. Like I couldn't even get down there to touch her, and then she yeah. would come up from there with punches, and so it was hard for me to kind of like manage that I mean I obviously did okay I like caught her before she went down and stuff like that but and just like used my movement in the end but um that was a challenge for me just because it was like something I'd never experienced before and I never seen Mm -hmm. before I never even sparred anyone that fought like that so (laughs) that was cool to have that experience (laughs) and are you always sparring in the 120 weight class or do you change which weight class that you spar in um, I mean, I spar. Or fighting. Yeah. Sorry, fighting. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah, I spar all different weights, but uh-huh. fighting. The weight. There's actually no 120 weight class. The weight class is 118, which is what my weight class is. Okay. But my last few fights, I've been fighting at 120, just because. Um, why not? Why? Why kill myself for those extra two pounds? I mean, not right. kill myself. Like I can make 118 fine, but it's like it's not fun. It's not comfortable. <laughs> So if my yeah. opponent agrees to just go to 120, like, I don't know. I think that like, it's not a title, so it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You can have an agreed weight if it's not a title. Um, right. And most of my opponents have obviously had the same opinion because they've been happy to go to 120. Actually, right. my fight coming up next week, that one's going to be at 122, which mm-hmm. I only asked for 120, but they um, said that I could have 122 because I said, can I have 120? because this is my first time traveling so long for a fight that I don't okay. know how my body's going to respond with like holding water, adjusting to the jet lag, the change of time zone and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to like give myself an extra little bit of leeway and not have that little extra bit of pressure. And because I guess because they gave, they were like, Oh, okay, we'll fight at 122 then. I was like, okay, well, does my opponent agree to that? They were like, well, yeah, she's going to travel too. So I guess she'll be in the same oh. boat. I was like, all right, cool. That works. <laughs> So, and who's your yeah. opponent this time? Where is she from? She's from uh, uh, Zan- Z- starts with a Z <laughs> in Africa. Like Zimbabwe? <laughs> or? No. Okay. I'll think of it. Our geography is getting tested right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Shit, what's it called? Well, maybe it starts with an N. Uh, uh, Nigeria. Oh, I'll remember it randomly okay. in like 30 minutes. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, her name's Jessica Mflanga. I don't know. Okay. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. She's uh she's undefeated. Um, she's had. Ooh. Yeah, this will be her fourth fight. Um, mm. So yeah, should be a good fight. Her originally, I was actually supposed to fight an Indian girl, um, mm. who'd had like five or six fights, I think, a little closer to my experience level. But last week they sent me a bunch of backup opponents because they were concerned that the restrictions like COVID restrictions for Mm. people from India entering to the UAE was like, I don't know, it was like different to other people. And they were concerned she might have trouble entering. And so they were like, okay, we've got these other backup opponents for you. Who do you like? And I was like, whoever, like, and I picked this girl because her style was very similar to the Indian girl. So I was like, that's what I'm training for. So let's stick with her. And then a few days later, they were like, well, actually, we're just going to give you her because she, we know she's going to get into the country, whereas the Indian girl, we're not sure. So it's just right. better to have a sure opponent. So yeah, okay. so that was cool. how that happened. Yeah. And you've been yeah. watching, obviously, video on this chick and stuff. And so, you know, like, do you, you have your game plan going and stuff already? Yeah. Yeah. So like last night I was doing bike sprints while watching her fights. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, I was supposed to do like six, uh, six, two minute sprints. Cause that's like my fight rounds is six, uh-huh. two minutes. And, uh, I watched two of her fights, which were both four rounds each. So on the second <laughs> fight, she had like two rounds to go. I was like, fuck it. She's still going. I'm still going. Let's go. <laughs> and so I did but yeah I like to I because the thing is like when you're fatigued what goes is your brain you know it's hard to think when you're really fatigued so I like to put myself in a situation where I'm really fatigued and then be watching something like that but and you know so I'm watching my opponent I'm thinking if I was fighting her right now what would I be doing what's my game plan and planning through the fight with what I see her doing sort of thing while I'm under fatigue so it's like, <laughs> if I can do it now I can yeah. the fight. <laughs> yeah yeah and your mentality so. was your mentality always like that like since the day you kind of left your parents house type thing like you're just or has there ever been a moment in your life where you like given up on something um I've given up on things when I just decided that it wasn't fun for me anymore or it was like, I liked something else better, mm-hmm. or I just wanted to go in a different direction. Um, yeah, like, I'm trying to think of something specifically. Um, I mean, even, for example, modeling, right? Like I still model sometimes, but mm-hmm. I got to a point where I was making good money off social media. And it's like, in social media, I can be me and mm-hmm you know, I'm in a fortunate position now where I, I'm not promoting products that I don't give a shit about just to make a dollar. Like I'm, you know, I have enough companies that want to work with me that I'm able to be very selective and, you know, and they pay me really nice money that I'm able to be like, okay, yes to that product, no to that product and not just have to say yes to everything. Um, whereas with modeling, you can say no to jobs if you want to, but it's kind of like you're just a face. You're not a person with a personality and you're not, it's not you selling. It's just your face and your body that's like there for the company to sell their product kind of thing. And 
you know, you turn up for an eight-hour day on their schedule or multiple days to make X amount of dollars. Whereas with social media, it's like you kind of, I'm, yeah. it's, it, it's kind of more work in the sense of like, I have to be the creative director, the film director, <laughs> the producer, the, you know, the everything to create this content. But it's like, it's my personality. It's me. It's, I get to share it in a way that like, I like, and I feel good about it because it's like, I have, I'm promoting products that I like, and I would like to share rather than just like, some product that I would probably never use but I'm like here using it because I'm getting paid (laughs) yeah what's the one you always put on your leg I always see the one you put on your leg on your stories all the time (laughs) oh that's magical I love it CBD yeah but um but yeah so I mean I wouldn't say that I like gave up Mm -hmm. modeling but I stopped going to castings now I only book jobs that if it suits me and I feel like it and it's like you know every, all everything fits I'm not sort of like chasing mm-hmm. it so I guess you could kind of say that I gave up on modeling a little bit um I mean it's New York Fashion Week right now and I'm not there so like because what like whatever you know yeah I don't care I've got to fight <laughs> <laughs> and you're for social media like are you the one you're in charge of making your contracts too or do you have like someone that you work with that does it like how do you price it is I guess my question is how would you price your your sponsorship I, I do have a um, like a brand manager that okay. communicates on my behalf sometimes. Sometimes I'll communicate directly with company. It depends what it is and it depends on the relationship, like how I connect with the people originally. But if it's like someone emails me, I have a girl that manages my emails, my like social media emails, and she'll uh-huh. negotiate on my behalf to... Um, just talk to the company like see what they want and then she'll sort of relay with me and be like do you like this product are you interested this is what they're offering and I'll be like okay send it to me I'll try it and then I'll try it if I like it then I'll be like okay like you know and she kind of like coordinates everything and makes it happen yeah so and all your products right now it's all to do with boxing or will you do anything outside of boxing I mean, not all to do with boxing specifically, but probably all to do with like my lifestyle as far as like being an athlete okay. in general. Um, like CBD, that's like not specifically to do with boxing. That's just like for someone right. who trains a lot and gets sore, it's very handy. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's so fast. And like some of the supplements and stuff that I take, um, you know, that that's good for any athlete, not necessarily specifically mm-hmm. boxing. I have a Hayabusa boxing gloves that's specifically boxing and I have a few uh, like clothing apparel companies that I work with as well that any girl could wear to brunch right. even <laughs> yeah. so and yeah. when did your like when did I guess your social media and your career as professional boxer like when was it the point where it was like okay I'm financially stable through my career as a boxer slash social media influencer, kind of what you're doing right now? Okay, so um, when I first moved to America, I told you I was modeling and I had some money saved as well. And I was kind of like living off my savings, but also modeling mm-hmm. to you know pay the bills and stuff like that. But I wasn't booking enough jobs that it was enough to just live off that. Like my savings were slowly, slowly, slowly diminishing. 
until I got to a point where I had, I don't know, a couple of thousand in my bank account and I was like, shit, I need to do something (laughs) fast because otherwise I'm not going to be able to pay my rent next month. (laughs) And uh, so I ended up getting a job. I was like, okay, I'm going to work in hospitality. Like that's easy and it's uh, transient, you know, it's not like you have to sign up for five years or get involved in a career. I've done it before. I know what I'm doing. And here in Miami, you can make so much money in hospitality. (laughs) It's ridiculous because the, the service charge is a lot of the time included, but even if it's not included, it's, it's expected. People will always tip. And especially if you like show them a really good time, they'll give you way over the expected service charge, you know, because it's like, that's the American lifestyle. That's how people are. That's (laughs) attitude here. Whereas in Australia, it's like, you can do a great job and you might get a couple bucks. Like, you know, it's not, tipping is not expected. People will, I used to make so much money in the nightclubs in Australia because they leave their dollar or $2 because it's the change and no when you're out in a nightclub you don't want to carry around a couple coins we don't have anything below five dollars is coins so uh, we're five dollar bills yeah. yeah so that was how I made a lot of money in the nightclubs in Australia if you were doing the same thing in like a restaurant where it's like one bill you'd probably make the change like four bucks <laughs> you know like a tip like it's I mean maybe if you had like a nice restaurant and you got really good service you might leave 20 bucks or something you know but it's not like here where it's like every transaction requires a tip um, and people are prepared to do that. So I didn't want to work nights because that would fuck up my boxing training. I was like, okay, I need to work days, but I didn't want to work in just like a restaurant. It's like, where can I work in Miami that I will make the most money possible? So I'm like asking around and I found out that the, the pool at the Fontainebleau is very lucrative so I turned up <laughs> they gave me the uh the number of the staffing agency the girls that worked there I was like how do I get a job here <laughs> just like turned up at the pool and they gave me the number I call this number they uh, brought me in for an interview the next day at the staffing agency they're asking me like name five vodkas name five champagnes name five bourbons whatever and like the vodka, I did okay. The champagne, I was okay. When it got to like rums and stuff like that, I was like, eh, Bacardi? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, I was like, struggling. and they were like, okay, like, did, how much experience do you say you have? And I'm like, listen, all this stuff I can learn on Google in three seconds. Like, just give me 24 hours and I'll give you all your answers. What you can't learn on Google is what I know how to put a smile on every single person's face that comes into my presence, make them have an amazing day, give them good service and like, you know, be fast, (laughs) attention to detail and whatever, like all that other stuff I'll learn, you watch. And they were just like, whoa, okay. That was just like, you know, I, I owned and ran a gym for seven, eight, seven, eight years in Australia. Like that was my job is literally to make people feel good about themselves, have an amazing time and yeah. leave there with a smile on their face, thinking on to, feeling on top of the world. You know, I was like, I'm going to be so good. You just watch. <laughs> and so I think they were just like, oh, okay. All right. So we can send you for an interview at the hotel tomorrow, but make sure you know five of all the different types. <laughs> we will ask you. Yeah. So anyway, I went into the interview and there was like a bunch of people interviewing and they're like, who wants to go first? I'm like, yep, me, pick me. <laughs> so I went in and 
I went in, I like passed the bit about the five uh, different types of alcohol, got through that. They're like, okay, you're going to go now interview with like the food and beverage manager. And I had to interview with like all these people going up and up and up the ranks kind of yeah. thing. So I'm like interviewing with the, you know, one of the higher guys and they're like, okay. And so like, what are your career aspirations? And I was like, well, I'm going to be world champion boxer. And they're like, oh, okay. So why do you want to work here? <laughs> well I think it'll be fun you know and it's something that I can do that's not going to interfere with my training I get to be like out and about and socializing without ruining my health and uh I think this is going to be a really fun experience and they were just like damn okay and I got like hired on the spot so (laughs) that was really cool and I ended up uh, making more money than anyone for those few months that I was there and while I was doing that, I was speaking to a friend of mine who I'd met in the boxing gym and he was about to go to Greece for the summer because he owns a nightclub over there. Mm-hmm. And he was like, why don't you come and work for me? And I was like, well, cause you know, I have this job here and I can like box here and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, seriously, like, think about it. The money over there, I guarantee you it's a lot more than what you're making here. And I was just like, hmm, okay. And so I went away and thought about it. It was one of those things that I just like couldn't stop thinking about. And so a few days later, I called him up and I was like, okay, tell me more. Like if I could <laughs> about something, it's like, I know it's, I'm, I'm probably going to do this. And um, so, yeah, I call him up. I'm like, tell me more. He's like, okay, so you can come halfway through the season because some other girl could only do half the season. So I was going to finish up her season. Um, there's like staff accommodation. You literally just like turn up and we'll sort everything out from there. I was like, okay. So that's what <laughs> happened. I, I've had, I was not going for like another month and a half sort of thing. Um, so I finished up working at the Fontainebleau and uh I jumped on a plane, went to Mykonos. I had no idea any, like I knew nobody but him, my friend who was my boss. And uh, I had the best summer of my whole life, made a stupid (laughs) amount of money, like ridiculous. I never seen money like this in my entire life. What people would just like pull out to pay for these tables. Like, and the thing was people were there from all over the world. So when it came to pay the bill, they'd be like, oh, how much do I tip you? Like what's standard here? And it, you just, you could tell them whatever you wanted. Just like, oh, thousands of dollars. Like, it's fine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, yeah, like, it was insane. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I had like the best summer of my whole life. It was so much fun. And I, so I had like four weeks of work and then I was supposed to have like a week and a half of just holiday before I came back to America. But when my flight was booked to come back to America, there was a hurricane. Do you remember that a few years ago? And the entire state was evacuated. Yeah, yeah. I had gone to Guatemala. <laughs> I had bounced on yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like 2017, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, the entire state was evacuated. And that was when I was supposed to be coming back to Miami. And I was like, well, I guess there's no point going back, is there? <laughs> like, there's nothing to go back to. No one's there. Nothing's open. Like, everything's shut. And so I, the flight was canceled and I just never ended up rebooking it. I just stayed and stayed and stayed. And eventually I finally left Mykonos and went to Athens and I was just going to do like a couple of days in Athens and work my way back up to London where I was going to fly back to Miami. But while I was in Athens, I was like, okay, I want to like start training again. So I found on Google a boxing gym, walked into this boxing gym 
and there was a girl who was a world champion there. She was a few weight classes above me, but, um, you know, whatever, we're girls, we work. And I was like, hey, like, she's like, do you want to spar? And I was like, hell yeah. Okay, so I came back that evening and we sparred and it was like, she was definitely better than me, but it was like really good sparring, you know, like I, I gave it. And her coach said to me after, how long are you staying in Athens? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe a few days, but I'm not sure. He's like, well, if we give you a house to live in and like train you for free, will you stay for a month? because she had a fight coming up and she wanted like a girl sparring partner to help her prepare and I was like hell yeah <laughs> so I uh I ended up living in Athens and training being her training partner for like a month so that was an amazing experience so that was what I was telling you I have an amazing coach in Greece earlier um who yeah I uh I trained with and so that would be my pattern is every year I would go to Mykonos mm -hmm. and work for in the end, it was like two months. That first year, I just did one month. But after that, it was like two months I'd work. And then I'd go to Athens and I would train until I had a fight in America and I would come back to fight. And then I would stay the rest of the year in America until I would go back to Greece again for the summer to work. But so the money that I would make in Mykonos every summer, that was enough to like pay my bills for a whole year. In, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So that was, yeah. <laughs> that was how yeah. I was surviving. That was how I was surviving for those first few years uh -huh. in uh, Miami. And over this time, I was like growing my social media, but like I didn't have to be, and like I was modeling a little bit as well. But that having that money from Mykonos enabled me to be picky and choosy, you know. And that's one thing I'm really grateful for that I never like just promoted something to promote it. Just hi tea fighting like here waist trainers will make you skinny hey drink this tea and you'll get skinny <laughs> like fuck no I'm not about that stuff so yeah I'm really grateful for that experience to not have to be in that position and even with modeling as well like um I'll, I've had many job offers from like supplement companies to just be a model basically like it's I don't have to promote anything but it's like you know, they want me to be the face of whatever. And I'm just like, nah, because that could ruin, because that, you know, if I'm for, I don't know, $1,500, the face of all their products and right. brand, my face is all over their stuff. I now can't work with another supplement company that might pay me a thousand dollars a month. You know, right. it's like, why would I like ruin that deal? So I've been able to be like, um, picky and choosy and selective about that because of you know that money yeah. from making up so um, yeah because your personal brand is so strong too so like if you're supporting a supplement that's not great either like your personal brand is just kind of wrecked exactly people like lose yeah. trust in you because yeah it's like why are you promoting shit so yeah that was always important to me was to be like real and authentic and stuff and so yeah and then just over the years um I you know I did have brand deals and stuff it wasn't like that was enough to pay my bills and support me until so I did three years of working in Mykonos and then after that third year I was finally making enough from my social media that I was good just on that um and then yeah thank God, because then the pandemic hit and that fourth year, I wouldn't have to go back anyway. I mean, yeah. I could have, but because um, I have a European passport, so I actually could have gone, but 
I mean, it wouldn't have been the same. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have made the kind of money that I would have made in the past and right. it wouldn't have been the same vibe or anything. And um, plus I had a boyfriend by then, so it wouldn't have been that fun to be away for so long. <laughs> and uh, I also broke my ankle, so I couldn't anyway. But, um, but yeah, and then after, when was it? When did I start OnlyFans? So I... It was last year, which was 2020. Yeah, end of 2020. So it was like, I I was already like, you know, doing fine off my social media and stuff like that. And I'd heard about OnlyFans. So in the pandemic, you probably heard, do you know what OnlyFans is? Yeah, it's yeah, like a website yeah, yeah. where, yeah, people like pay, subscribe to you and pay you to see your content. It's kind of like Facebook, but people pay to see your content. Mm-hmm. So there's two ways it can go. They can pay like a subscription or it can be like pay-per-view. And during the pandemic, this website became really famous because all the strippers and prostitutes and those sex workers that couldn't work were able to now work via OnlyFans. And so, you know, this site became hugely popular and just like blew up, especially during the pandemic. And um, I knew a few girls that were on it, um, but I also knew the type of stuff that they were like posting on Instagram and stuff. And I was just like, eh, like not really the kind of, uh image that I want to have and it was the end of 2020 like I think I signed up in September so it would have been yeah mid-September I one of my best friends Joey he's a photographer and he had just been on a trip doing a shoot with a bunch of models that were all on OnlyFans and he was picking their brains about it having these conversations with them just asking them like what do they post what what do they make what you know what's it like and he was telling me one girl doesn't get nude she does very sexy things and like bikini lingerie but she doesn't get nude at this point I think now she shows her nipples but at that point she didn't even show her nipples she -hmm. was making ninety thousand dollars a month and then two other girls a month and then two other girls that were there were making 40 and 50,000 a month. Same thing. Not, I think the girl that was making 40, she got Ooh. topless. But the rest of them, like, they were being very sexy, but uh-huh. they were not showing anything. And when he told me that, I was like, I don't care about <laughs> anyone and their opinions anymore. Sign yeah. me up. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Ooh, because for yeah. me, it's like, I don't care. Like I go on sunbathe topless on the beach, like all the time. Like yeah. I don't give a shit. The only reason that I'll put a top on and whatever is because other people might care and I don't want them to feel awkward. And the reason I don't post nude pictures online or, you know, put that content out there is because I care what, you know, brands that I might want to work with, they might not like it because of the image it portrays and therefore they might not want to work with me. But I was like, no brand is paying me that much money. So they can, <laughs> they, their opinion doesn't matter at this point. Like <laughs> I'm going to make that money. And yeah. I think the, the key thing was I didn't realize how much people are willing to pay or I guess it's just like a volume thing. Like you don't even have to right. charge that much, but when a, a large volume of people will buy it, then it adds up real fast. Well, and but you probably already had like, oh, sorry. You probably already had the huge fan base already anyways. So it's just like well, converting people from your existing fan base. Right. So, and yeah. the, the thing is like these girls were paying, uh, sorry, they had like a million plus uh, followers on Instagram I and they had already been posting stuff on Instagram that was very sexy. So 
it's like they have a million followers on Instagram that are immediately going to convert to a a million OnlyFans followers, you know? Whereas my subscribers are, first of all, I only have like 200 and something, like so a quarter of what they have. And not all of mine are there because they see me as sexy, you know? There's like Mm -hmm. a lot of girls there. There's a lot of even just guys that follow me for boxing and don't care about the sexy stuff, you know? So um, I didn't like have that everybody is going to jump over kind of thing, but I did have a much better response than I thought. And uh, especially I, there's a lot of like loyal people that will, um, it doesn't matter what price you put on something, like they want to see it. So that was really cool because it was like where I might not have had the volume I had, a volume of people that will pay good money if I give them like good content, you know. So, um, yeah. Do you ever have I, like a interactive content with like not not something like camming, but like do you ever with your loyal like followers or something? Like do you ever have like just chat sessions or anything? Or, yeah. So yeah. that's the thing. Like, so a, a lot of people will say, why would people pay for sexual content when you can go to Pornhub and get free porn? And it's because can you message the girl in the video of Pornhub and tell her what you like? Can you tell her that, ask her how her day is going and she and have her ask you how your day is going and get to know her and have like a bit of a personal connection with her? Yeah. For a lot of guys, that's a big turn on is that the girl that, you know, they have a, a connection with this girl and they have a somewhat, you know, friendship or relationship with this girl and then they get to see her sexual or sexy pictures or videos or whatever. So for them, that's way better than watching porn. Um, yeah. And that's the draw to OnlyFans really is that, is that communication aspect. So yeah, there's like a message feature where it's like you, people can tip to message and some people will tip you five bucks to send a message and others will tip you 50 to send a message. I've had guys, the maximum is 200 and I've had guys tip me 200 to send a message. They didn't have to send that much. They just wanted to, I don't know, they appreciated my (laughs) content, I guess, and wanted to say thank you. But uh, yeah, so... And how is it managing, A, your OnlyFans and then your social media in general, right? Because I assume you're getting a lot of comments and messages, like, it's got to take a lot of time, no? <laughs> okay, so that was the thing, is you know how I said, like, the reason I never joined for so long was because I was concerned about what, like, brands that I work with would think and maybe I'd lose sponsorship deals and stuff like that? Nothing changed. Absolutely hmm. nothing changed. I lost nothing. If anything, I picked up more. And I don't know, I don't think I picked up more because it was because of OnlyFans. I think just as my social media was growing and I was, you know, becoming more of a presence and more popular and stuff, then I was in front of more people who I got these opportunities, but it literally affected me zero. The only way it affected me was I had like one or two friends that were kind of judgy about it, probably just jealous, to be honest, but (laughs) Like, and I say that, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but like in a sad for them kind of way, you know, like most of my friends, I'd tell them about like what I was doing and we'd laugh about it together. We'd be like, oh my God, can you believe this? Like, this is insane. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes you get some kind of strange messages or requests and you can have a little (laughs) Google with your friends and stuff about like, 
some of the stuff you're getting and and everyone I know is like they know who I am and they know the type of person I am and whatever like nothing I don't change as a person and we still you know it's like whatever but yeah I did have like one or two people that were very judgy and I was like well your loss like you could have laughed about it with me but (laughs) you just you just like lost all my respect so Do your question, do your parents know? Like, have you told them or would they find out? My parents are not on social media. Oh, okay. So, no, I don't think think they know. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might. My grandparent, my grandpa is on Instagram and follows me on Instagram. posted about it a few times. (laughs) So maybe they know. I don't know. But, um, yeah. I mean, if they do know, it hasn't been brought up. That's for sure. (laughs) What are we like? question I mean you don't have to answer if I want to but what like do your sponsorship deals make you more money right now or does your OnlyFans make you more money or your your definitely OnlyFans I don't know if sponsorship deals will ever make me more than OnlyFans because that money is ridiculous like I can't even believe it in six not not even six months we could have bought a house we didn't because I don't know what house to buy but like (laughs) like it is stupid like stupid yeah. money it's insane that's crazy. yeah that's crazy oh what's so, your what's your plan like I guess what's your plan do you think that I guess do you think that only fans has like an expiration date like it's a trend that's going to kind of stop or you think it's going to be around for, for a long time I'm um <laughs> treating it like it does have an expiration date uh-huh. maybe it won't I don't know when that expiration date will come because here's the thing is that people, people come and go, like think about friends in your life. Think about jobs that you've had, like everything comes and goes and even think about your favorite singer or artist. Like there was a period in your life where you loved all their songs, everything they did. And then after, you know, a few years, whether it was just a few or it was a decade or more, you got over it and everyone that loved them got over them at different points. But I think that's kind of how it goes. And I mean, for 34, I think I look all right, but who knows when the point is that I'm going to start to look a bit shabby and there's going to be some new cool young chick that they would rather spend their money on instead. I don't know. (laughs) So from the day that I started it, I treat it like, um, this probably, this 99% will not last forever. But as long as it does last, I'm going to like, you know, put the effort into it and like try and make the most of it. But um, I'm not, my point of saying that is like, I'm not living like a millionaire and going and just like spending money (laughs) and dishing it out and buying expensive clothes and shit like that. Like almost all the money I've made is saved and gone into investments or mm-hmm. waiting to be spent on investments. So, yeah. That's amazing. That's crazy. <laughs> I can't believe that's like 90,000 in one month. That's absolutely nuts. <laughs> like we, we, model, live, yeah. we live like we're poor. Like we have a car yeah. that's like 15 years old. The handle's broken. <laughs> we don't fix it. The radio doesn't work. The light in the back is hanging by a thread. So when you drive, it goes like this. We call it the disco light. Like, <laughs> and we don't plan on upgrading the car until it literally shits itself and dies. Then we'll get a new car. You know, it's like, I don't want to live like, you know, wasting yeah. money for nothing. Well, so, I mean, I, I, 
it gives you so much more it gives you so much more freedom right because if you're living way below your means then you just have ridiculous amount of freedom right if something happens then you got like cash for a long time type thing well and you just I feel like when you spend money on things you you like care about those things like I don't want to care about material things I'll spend endless money on a holiday on traveling on stuff like that because for me that's an experience I do spend endless money on like boxing training and massages <laughs> and physical therapy and stuff like that because and my health and my food like I'll spend money I'll spend money on food like you know buying everything organic at the grocery store because for me that's an investment like in my health and my body and feeling good and stuff like that in terms of like boxing what's your how do you view boxing? Like, you just want to do it until you get tired of it type of thing? Or you want to achieve a goal and then? Or what's, yeah. what's kind of your goal for boxing? Basically, so I used to, at the start, be like, I want to be world champion. And that goal was, like, what I was saying. And then I started to be like, well, I once I started to realize how boxing really works, like I explained to you, it's literally a popularity contest. And um, you can be the best and never get opportunities like I know a girl for example her name is Maureen Shea 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 and she's amazing boxer like ranked in the top I don't know five in the world probably but can't get a can't get a fight can't get a decent fight she should be fighting for a world title and she should have a world title but the reason she can't get a fight is because and she used to have one but then she got injured and so she had to relinquish her titles and then she just hasn't got an opportunity again since so the reason she in my opinion that she can't get a fight is because she's a little older now I think she's like close to 40 and she did she came through boxing at a time when social media wasn't there so she didn't have like a fan base growing on social media women's boxing was not put on tv so the only people that were like fans were sort of like local fans you know and then right. now in an age where you have girls coming through like me and even like other young girls that have social media presence and are getting attend like women's uh, boxing is now in the Olympics. So you have these girls coming out of the Olympics that have this popularity because, you know, they've been in front of the world and whatever right. you're compared, like these girls are getting opportunities because they bring eyes and money to the sport. Whereas a girl like her, oh phenomenally talented like as good as if not better who knows because they never get to fight <laughs> um than these girls but because she doesn't have the popularity she's not getting the opportunities also why would someone that has a world title belt want to fight her she brings no popularity to the fight aka no money to the fight but also she'll probably beat them why do they want to take a risk like if you're going to take a risk with like thing is you have a world title belt there's no in MMA you've got the UFC which is like the main governing body and so the matchmakers in the UFC say you will fight you you will fight you and you will fight you and if you say no good luck getting another opportunity so uh, the fights yeah. in the UFC are very competitive and that's what's made the UFC so popular and that's why boxing started to fall by the wayside and a lot of people lost interest is because mm -hmm. for a while fighters were ducking and weaving each other because we have four world title belts like there's more than just four but there's like four major ones that are like recognized as the best and uh -huh. there's not one that's recognized as like better than another so um you have guys that'll be like yeah I'm world champion but they never fight another world champion 
they just keep their separate belts and they right. fight shitty, not shitty, but <laughs> they fight guys that are like not gonna beat them because they're not yeah. at their level just to maintain their belt and to defend their belt. Whereas, and they never actually end up fighting these other amazing guys. So if you have a whole pool of people to fight, you have to fight every, I don't know, nine or 12 months or whatever the rule is. Each federation is different in their rules, but you have to fight every so often to maintain your belt and keep it. Um, why are you going to fight someone that you'll probably lose it to unless they're bringing a lot of money and publicity to the, then it's worth it for you. Then it's worth taking that risk right. and like, you know, putting yourself to the test. But if this person's not bringing that, like, why would you want to fight someone that's probably going to beat you? So that's the terrible position that she's in at the moment. And that's what kind of sucks about boxing is because there's no governing body mm -hmm. that's sort of like forcing her. It, boxing's just all money. So mm -hmm. anyway, when I realized, uh, you know, a few years into boxing, really how it works, I was like, okay, like I, if I'm good enough, I could probably get these opportunities because thankfully I have this popularity. Uh, but I also realized that, why is it that a world title belt or winning a world title is so important to me? Is it just for like the glory to say I did? Because let's face it, you don't even necessarily have the best fighters as the world champion. So mm. if you win it, so what? Like, you know, it's like once you win it, then you hold the belt so you can choose to fight these people that you think are amazing and deserve an opportunity if you want to. Um, but I, yeah, so I, I made this realization and I just started to think that why did I want to become a world champion? And it was because, you know, just like everything that I've been through and what I've come through as far as, you know, getting kicked out of at home at 15, like moving countries, people telling me I can't, people like scoffing at the way I look, why are you in a boxing gym? What are you doing? Like all this stuff, you know, it's like I'm the least likely person to to box and to be able to achieve this goal and and even just to fight in general and I think a lot of women relate to me because they see someone that why would I want to mess up my looks but I'm doing it because I love it and I'm still look like this I don't have a sideways nose and I'm able to like move my head enough to not get hit and it it encourages regular women to want to be involved in the sport because it's like oh wow like if she can do it I could do it I like inspiring people and I like giving people that motivation to like get off their ass and go and try something new or try something that they probably have been told they couldn't do or they shouldn't do or might seem very unconventional and impossible to actually like succeed in <laughs> um, mm -hmm especially like given who they are or where they've come from or whatever it might be, you know, like I, I love that. And with social media and being able to share my journey and my training and like everything that I'm doing and, you know, just my hiccups and my story. I think a few years ago, I was living with a rat in my house for like six months and I, every day I'd give, or not every day, but every week I'd give like little rat updates and stuff, you know, it's like the whole journey yeah. of what you been through where you've lived the kind of situations you've been in the people you're with like to get to where you've got to and you know they enjoy that ride with you and stuff like that and I just I love that and um for me I'm already achieving my goal like that's what drives me you know mm -hmm. and when I realized that like I'm I'm already achieving my goal like the why am I boxing then and what like what's 
my motivation to like, you know, be better and better. And I, I just want to have better and better fights. Like every fight that I have, I want it to be a better opponent than the last one or a different opponent to the last one. Like show me something different, you know, like I told you my last opponent, she brought a style that I never had in front of me before. So that was really cool. Um, I've never fought someone taller than me before. I haven't fought a left-hander before. Like there's a lot of different scenarios or even just like there's so many different styles, so many different ways people can box um that I just want to challenge myself with and to me that's more important and more fun than necessarily getting a title which of course that would be really cool too but that's not the be all and end all for me and also the older I get the more I'm experiencing other things in life like I love to travel and I've always been pretty lucky where I've kind of fit traveling and boxing together uh, in that when I first moved to America, I found it very difficult to get good spar, well, any girl sparring, but especially good girl sparring here in Miami. So often I'd spend like a month in Chicago, a month in LA, a month in New York. I was going everywhere and exploring America, making new friends and meeting people in different <laughs> things. And that gave me a lot of opportunities too, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Um, and uh, like, and internationally, I mean, Greece, I walked into that gym and I stayed in Athens and really got to know Athens as a city and fell in love with it because of that boxing gym. So yeah, I love how boxing has helped me travel, but also like there's experiences I want to have, even playing beach volleyball, you know, like I just <laughs> a year and a half ago. No. Yeah. Like almost two years now, I guess, but sort of like a year since I really properly started playing. Um, but like, I love that sport. I've fallen in love with it. And I realize I'm probably never going to be like an Olympian or a world champion, but I love to play beach volleyball. It's so much fun. And it's a new challenge for me that I've like fallen in love with. And, um, but while I have like, you know, the last few weeks that I've had this fight coming up, I haven't been able to play. And I hate feeling like I'm missing out. I'm like so bummed because I don't want to take the risk of like injuring myself right before such a big fight, you know, opportunity kind of thing. That would be stupid. Um, So there are sacrifices that you have to make with boxing, especially when you have a big fight and you need to throw everything all in. And for me, it's worth it because I love the outcome of fighting and the challenge and stuff like that. But I think there's going to come a point in time where I am just like, eh, I'm not interested anymore. Maybe the challenge runs out for me or I just get bored or maybe other things in life start to become more exciting for me. Um, At some point soon, I want to have kids as well. Um, Not necessarily that I have to give up because I have kids, but I'll definitely be taking a break. (laughs) But, But in saying that, like I just, between my last two fights, there was a year and a half because of, you know, pandemic broken ankle and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and then I came back strong. So what's a baby? It's the same time really, isn't it? <laughs> well, so, if you're dodging, uh, you got to do there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah then there's sleepless nights and stuff. So yeah, maybe a year and a half. <laughs> and by the time I'm like ready to train hard again and ready to fight. It's two different things. So yeah. You're going to be like stationed on the beach. You're going to pop out a kid and the next day you're still going to look amazing. (laughs) But but the beauty beauty Uh of females in boxing is that we have a long longevity in this sport. So like in male boxing, they tend to peak around the time they're like 30. And then some are still peaking into their mid 30s. But by sort of like your latter 30s, most men are... Um, not in their peak 
you okay. know, they can still win really good fights if they're a super high level fighter, but they're not at the peak of where they were years before. And that starts to signify the end of a career. But with females, like I know a girl who was 49 years old and a world champion. And oh, yeah. the reason being is because she was a former ballet dancer and this girl moved. You could not touch her. So she didn't take any damage. So she lasted <laughs> so long in the sport, you know, as long as she like kept yeah. training and staying fit. For yeah. her, it was a game of like, I got you, you can't get me. And then how, how are you going to beat this girl? Like, it was hard. <laughs> she ended up losing a few fights. And now she's, you know, got an amazing opportunity living in China and teaching boxing over in China. But um, I think that was the reason she stopped boxing was because she had an mm-hmm. even better, more exciting opportunity. But if she had kept going, she would probably still be a world champion right now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, like, oh, sorry, but have you ever thought about opening your own gym, like your own boxing gym down here in Miami? no um after after owning the gym in australia for that Mm -hmm. whole time like we it wasn't a boxing gym we had we had a boxing ring in the gym but like just for fun it wasn't a boxing (laughs) gym it was a it was a fitness gym it was like a boutique uh fitness gym um i loved it i loved doing it but the problem for me was that you're tied to a physical spot and Mm -hmm. i like being free and able to be anywhere, anytime, any place. <laughs> I don't have any like responsibility that's holding me to one place, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, I realized that like you can have a gym and you can have employees that are running the gym, but I don't know. I feel like if you have a business like that, it's important to be there and have a physical presence mm-hmm. um, because a gym is a very personal thing, especially if you're coaching and you're a coach yourself, because that would you know, be my motivation to have a gym would be because I have that passion to coach and which I do. I love coaching boxing. I'm always like, people ask me for tips. I'll be there half an hour later, still teaching them something. <laughs> you just, <laughs> I didn't mean to be at all. <laughs> I probably had to go, but here we are. <laughs> so I, I do really love it, especially if people are interested and they're like really, you know, trying to get into it and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I really value just being able to be anywhere at any time. And so um, I had that experience before and it's not something mm-hmm. that I, want to and it's a lot of work too it really is a lot of work so I think I've got other things going on that I really enjoy and that's yeah I don't have space for that at the moment I mean never say never but yeah it's not a desire of mine at this point (laughs) did you ever um over the course of your I guess going for being a professional boxer were there moments where you were about to quit and you're about to say like ah nah like I don't think it's gonna work or you just never lost the faith never until earlier this year really Um, yeah so um I hadn't fought since January 2020 and Mm -hmm. then the pandemic hit and then I broke my ankle and then I was coming back from a broken ankle and it was so frustrating because like I thought I was good and then I'd be like tested in a really hard sparring session or something and I would just be like dead like and I and I couldn't work out like why was it so difficult for me getting my fitness back um and you know it's just a process like you break something and I sort of because I could I could play volleyball before I could box I could like moving across the sand that helped me actually get really strong in my ankle <laughs> and then I could box, but I could box before I could run running was like the last thing that I could do and 
part of my game plan with boxing is I'm fitter than everyone else. I move a lot. I'd be hard to hit and I get in, get out. And like, I'm not the biggest power puncher, but I'll wear you down and then you're weak and then my punches feel powerful. <laughs> so that's sort, of more, that's sort of more like my game plan. And so without that fitness, I felt like I had no sting. I had nothing to offer kind of thing. And it just, it really took me forever to get that back because I didn't realize how much running had been responsible for that. I've always been able to run forever without a problem. But because of my ankle, I was starting again from like half a mile. 6.6.7.8.9 one mile and now I can run one mile you know and it's like because I didn't run a long distance for such a long period of time I lost the fitness as well so even then when I could run you know more than four miles like even now to this day I find it difficult to get past four and a half miles that sort of I've run five miles a couple of times but it was in Greece where the humidity was not Miami (laughs) I think I'll be able to run five, five six plus miles here I think this winter is when I'm going to get my running fitness back again because the uh, it's going to be winter, so I'm not going to have the dehydration aspect right. as an excuse and I'll be able to push past <laughs> that barrier enough times that I then have the fitness and then even if I'm dehydrated, I'm still like, you know, when the summer rolls around again, I'll yeah. still be able to get past it. So that's my way of thinking at the moment because at the moment I like four mile four and a half mile mark I'm so dehydrated I'm dizzy like my legs are fine but I'm so dizzy (laughs) like fuck like I can't breathe and yeah it's bad but yeah so my point is that like I had a lot of sort of false starts at the end of last year and the start of this year thinking that I was like ready and then I wasn't and it was quite frustrating and then um I thought I was ready or I was like I was ready and I had um a fight like I thought I was going to fight in March didn't happen like it fell through you know the fight just never got made I guess they I don't know found someone else or whatever thought I was going to have another fight in April didn't happen thought I was going to have a fight another fight in May didn't happen and by this point it was like because you always think that you're going to be fighting in the next month it's not like you have enough time to just take a break and reset it's like no 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 I, I might be fighting in three or four weeks like I need to keep going so come May or come like the idea of fighting in May, it's like I've been training hard for like five, six months now with no <laughs> no break. Play. Oh, no, it was like five months because it was the start of the year that I really started training again because I had corona in December last year. So that forced me <laughs> and I just like relaxed for a little while. But, um, but yeah, and I was just, I think it was like April-ish that I was just like, you know what, I just want to – take a break for a while without the pressure of do I have a fight coming up do I not like I just I need a break and uh yeah I thought about giving up I thought you know I'm having a lot of fun playing beach volleyball um I don't need boxing to make money like I'm making money on social media no matter what um so it's you know it's not like I'm relying on this to obviously that's like you know part of my um what I'm posting about in the life that I'm living mm-hmm. and you know, people probably follow me but it's like if I went into something else and was trying something else like I feel like the motivation carries on kind of thing you know so mm-hmm. um yeah and I I sort of had all these questions going through my head like is this really worth it to me this is very frustrating like I was just really sick of everything whatever and then All of a sudden, I got the phone call that not only did I have one fight coming up, I had two. So this fight, (laughs) number 18, I was offered that fight first. 
Mm-hmm. And then, but that was like sort of four or five months away that I was offered the fight. And I was like, hell yes. So obviously that sparked my motivation. But if I didn't fight until September, it would be almost two years that I would have been out of the ring coming up to this fight. And it's a really big uh, event, huge show. It'll be like heavily publicized all around the world. And I was like, I don't want that to be my first fight back in so long. So we madly scrambled to try and find me um, another fight. That fight in Miami, I got paid nothing. Like (laughs) if anything, it cost me money to have that fight, but it was worth it for me just to like get back in the ring and whatever to be ready for this fight coming up so um yeah. well it was yeah. super fun to watch <laughs> yeah i've never seen a, a professional boxing fight but that was amazing it was so well, fun everyone's like Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. <laughs> that was one of my biggest motivations as well to have that fight what like especially that one even though it was because i could have gone to mexico and i could have fought and got paid to fight in mexico but i mean not very much but like at least not costing me money you know but to have that fight here in Miami, it was like, but everyone can come watch. They get to see like, because for the amount of time that I've known everybody, I had one fight and that one fight, it was in Miami. They um, messed up the, like they opened the venue later, half an hour later than what they should have. And they put my fight earlier than what it should have been. So basically while my fight was on, there was nobody in the venue and everybody, I had like 80 people waiting outside to try and get in. And no they were no. until I was walking out of the ring. So everyone got in and they were obviously mm. really upset. So no one has seen me fight. Like, you know, from the bit since I started playing volleyball, like our whole community, everyone, like a lot of my, you know, more recent friends and stuff like that. Like, you know, my friends that have been my friends forever, they've seen me fight, obviously. But um, yeah. yeah, like, you know, this whole community and stuff that I've become a part of, like, no one's seen me. So I was like, okay, like, this will kind of be like the makeup fight where they finally get to, <laughs> if I fight in Miami, you know, it's like everyone can come watch. It'll be a fun event and stuff like that. So I was really happy that everyone turned out because, uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was cool. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And two, I want to know the story of kind of taking it back a little bit because we kind of skipped over it. I want to know the story of, I guess, why you broke up with your your husband and how that kind of, how you made that decision and what was going on. Yeah, so I I met him when I was 21 Mm -hmm. and we got married when I was 23. He was 10 years older than me, just to paint a picture. So I think had he been like closer to my age and his, his path that he wanted to go down in life was he wanted to get married, have kids. Like that was sort of the direction that he was heading in. And it just so happened that he had a girlfriend that was much younger than him, that he wasn't like pressuring me or forcing me into that. But it's like when you're around that and all his friends are sort of his age and doing that, it kind of becomes your surroundings and you, yeah, like I don't want to say he pressured me into it because he didn't, but it was sort of like that's the path that you sort of now jump onto as well just because you're surrounded by it. And so I remember when he proposed to me, I was like very flattered because the guy that I loved just proposed to me, but I was so unsure, like the nine months from when he proposed to the wedding, I was constantly like questioning myself, like, is this the right decision? What am I doing? Obviously I never said anything to anyone. I kept that entirely to myself. But yeah, it was just, and it wasn't that I didn't want to marry him or I didn't love him or anything like that. I was just like so young and I didn't know what I wanted. Like I was so unsure, you know, 
But I was also kind of like, well, this is the guy I love and this is what he wants. And like, why would I think otherwise? Like, I'm happy. I love, like, everything is great. Our life is great. Like, what, why not? You know, it, that was the thing. It was not like, I wasn't trying to answer. It was more like, why not? Like, okay, whatever. And so I did. So we got married. And so, yeah, I want to start it like that. Like, I kind of went into the marriage of like, I don't feel like our the dating was probably long enough for someone my age who this was my second serious relationship. Like I didn't know what I wanted, what type of like I didn't I didn't know, you know, it was just like, okay, I like this, so whatever. And uh <laughs> typical of real of real response over your life. Like, yeah. yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, and honestly, like everything was good. We had a great relationship. Um he, I had complete freedom within the relationship. Like he encouraged he as I said, being 10 years older, he had traveled a lot in his time. So he encouraged me to travel, you know, even without him just to, cause he knows that I love to travel and he knows like how much it did for him and stuff like that. So he was always like, yeah, go like, yeah, go to this place on your own. See you in two weeks, whatever. And uh, so yeah, everything was great. Honestly, like we were the best of friends. Like the relationship was fantastic, but there were things that we didn't see eye to eye on. And those things were like moral type things. You know, there were things that he thought were wrong and I didn't have a problem with at all. So I might behave in a certain way and he would get angry and I'd be like, but I don't see any problem with what I did. And for me, I sort of felt like it was a restriction on my freedoms or my being of myself or just expressing who I was and how I was. Like there were times where, he might tell me not to behave in a certain way. And he was saying it from a point of like, you'll embarrass yourself in front of other people or something like that. But, you know, and he, you know, he's just trying to be like loving and look out for me, I guess. But for me, I felt like I had to like suppress kind of who I was. Not, this is a very small percentage. Like most of the time I was perfectly happy, but there were moments, you know, throughout the relationship. And when those things would happen, I would question, like, I would be really sad and I would question like, okay, like, is this the right relationship for me? But I'm also a very loyal person too. So I was kind of like, anytime I'd have those thoughts, I'd be like, no, like you're married. Don't be stupid. Like fix the problem. It's like, this is your life. This is what you signed up for. So like Mm -hmm. sort it out, you know? And uh, so I think I stayed in that relationship. I, I had the inkling that it probably wasn't the right relationship for me for quite a few years before I actually did anything about it but like I said I'm I was loyal so I was trying to like stick it out and and just stay in that and then it was um so we've been together for seven years and I was in Vegas doing a pageant actually and I was I had a I had two pageants to do while I was there and they were like a month apart and it was kind of like there was no point going to America come back or to like you know it's like so many airfares and stuff and so um I or maybe it was three I don't know I had like a bunch of stuff to do while I was there so I was staying in Vegas for a month so you know you're going to be there for a month you like start making friends with locals and people that live there and anyway I was like chatting to this guy and as far as this guy knew I was perfectly happily married like had no issues in my relationship or anything and he had got divorced like a year earlier and he was just telling me you know as a friend-to-friend conversation he was like you know I finally feel like after a year 
I'm getting back to being myself. He's like, at the end of the relationship, I felt like I was compromising a lot of who I was and like not arguing things that I really believed in just to avoid an argument. And I was kind of like not being me and not being true to myself. And also because of that, I was like really losing respect for myself. And I started to get like low self-esteem and stuff like that. And everything he was saying, he had no idea, but everything he was saying was just like stabbing me in the heart. I was like, holy shit. And that night I didn't sleep the entire night. Like just everything was going through my head after that conversation. And I, I didn't sleep the whole night. And when the sun came up that morning, I knew I have to end this relationship. Like I can't be in this anymore. I can't keep, I don't want to wake up in five years time and still feel like this. You know, that's Mm -hmm. not fair to him. It's not fair. It's a waste of life. Um, Forget loyalties and all that. Like he'll find another girl that loves him as their, you know, and their relationship will be perfect and he'll be even happier. Like I need to forget about that and whatever. So I made the decision, but I was also like, okay, I'm not going to end a marriage while I'm overseas in Vegas. <laughs> but later that day, <laughs> later that day, we're talking on the phone, and uh, we were have we were talking because we own the gym together. We were like talking about the gym, and we were like arguing about something, and um, he hung up on me. And then he rings me back a couple minutes later, and he's like, "Listen, like you're arguing against everything I say. Like, you know, is there a problem? Blah blah blah, whatever. Like, I feel like you're just like whatever. I don't know, having a go at me." And I was about to start standing up for myself and being like, no, fuck you. No, I'm not. Like, what are you talking about? And then I just was like, you know what? Maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe I am. But it's probably just because I'm I'm tired of this. I've had enough. Like, I'm done here. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, honestly, like, I didn't want to say this while I'm in Vegas, but I can't lie another day. And it's going to be a few more weeks till I'm home. So I can't just pretend for this whole time that everything's okay. Because it's not. Like, I want a divorce. And he was like, what and it was just like silence because it came out of nowhere even for me like it was yes it was something I'd fleetingly thought about for years but it wasn't something I'd put serious thought into until that night that I couldn't sleep and I just went over it and over it and over it and it was the only solution for me in the end and to finally say it to finally like get those words out of my mouth it was like the biggest weight off my chest Mm. I have never experienced anything like that before. And I knew in that moment, I like rather than being like sad or crying or, you know, that something was over, I was elated with happiness that I'd finally like had the confidence to make this decision because it was obviously something that I was like scared to decide on for so many years. And to finally like make this decision and get it out in the open, like there was no going back for me. It was like that it was done. And, um, we talked for like an hour very like calmly nicely friendly just discussing everything and talking about everything and I explained like how I felt and stuff like that and just like everything and um but he just I think he couldn't understand like right what like where this had come from just kind of suddenly because the day before we'd been like in love on the phone and everything was perfect you know and uh yeah I was just like I just I've been thinking about it and whatever and blah blah, blah. and I think he was just like really like suspicious of what the real reason was that I'd come up with this answer so that's basically what happened but then fast forward a few months I was in Vegas for Halloween again for another pageant and uh, I was out in a club and I ran into this girl we had all full the makeup on and stuff you know Halloween 
And she's like, oh, how's Mark, my ex? How's the gym? And I was like, yeah, like everything's great. I mean, we're not together anymore. And she's like, oh, thank God. I'm so happy to hear that. And I was like, oh, what? Why? Like that was the first time I ever had a reaction like that. You know, normally everyone else was, you know, when you tell someone you're divorced, people are like, oh, that's sad. Are you okay? Like, you know, um, I was like, oh, why? She's like, oh, you know, just because like the cheating and stuff. And I was like, what? And I kind of like laughed because I would never in a million years have ever suspected that he would be like, he was so in love with me and he treated me so well. And, you know, it was like, mm-hmm. there's no way he's just, even we had so many conversations about like other people cheating and he was so against it. And so like, that's so fucked up. How can they do that? Whatever, like about other people when it was brought up. And uh, so I didn't believe her at first. I thought, oh, she's mistaken me for the wrong person. Like it's Halloween. She probably, she's drunk. She probably didn't recognize me and she's thinking of someone else, you know? And uh, so I left it. Anyway, a couple months later, back in Vegas and she's a photographer and she was like, hey, uh, while you're here, do you want to do a shoot? And I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's, let's do it. So anyway, we're on the shoot, we're hanging out, whatever, we have coffee afterwards. And she's like, listen, I feel so bad that I was like the one to tell you because obviously she would have been able to tell that I had no idea what she was talking about. She's like, did you ever find out more about what happened? And I was like, no, like that was for real? What? And she's like, oh yeah. And then she told me like everything she knew. So it was like this. So there were like separate incidences. There was like one main girl that he had been having like a thing with on the side, like literally living a double life. She knew about me. So they were like, not kind of like officially together, but it was like, you know, how I said, we always went on separate holidays. Yeah. So like when he went on holidays and he was going alone, he was not going alone. And when I was away, she was like, I don't know, on the scene, I guess, but like not in front of any of his friends, like literally kept her in private. Right. Like nobody knew about her at all. Um, because when I told like a couple of my close friends, when I found out, I was like, listen like you're not gonna believe this I didn't either like this is crazy do you know about this and they were like no way like no one knew believed it anything so anyway but she was like kind of the the main girl that was like on and off and then from what I understand just from some of the stories and stuff there were other girls that were sort of like individual situations along the way as well so he basically in having like a four-year affair in our five-year marriage And uh, honestly, it was like the best news of my life when I found out everything, found out who she was investigated because I felt so guilty for ending the relationship. Even though I like, you know, had my reasons, like it it was for the better, it was the right thing to do, whatever. I felt so guilty still, you know, because it's like, oh, I let this poor guy down. I made a commitment to him and I let him down. And then when I found this out, I was like, yes, I'm not the asshole. You're the asshole. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so it was like the best thing. I was liberated. I was free. And I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to live my life as I please and sleep perfectly well at night. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was basically what happened. So, you know, it's like, every- and I'm so grateful for not having found out until after because you know obviously for me like cheating is something that's non-negotiable in a relationship like if you're if you're having if you're like seeing someone on the side or you're looking around or whatever like you're not truly in love with me so I don't want to be a part of that and that's just my personal opinion I get that other people have different views and I even have girlfriends who have cheated on their 
on their husbands or boyfriends and they see it differently because of circumstances and whatever. But for me personally, that's just the way I see it. And it's cheating for me is something that's like non-negotiable. So I know that if I had have found out while we were together, I probably would have questioned, like I, I would have ended it, but I would have questioned if that was what I really wanted. And, you know, there would have always been that like heartache of like, yeah, something I'm very grateful I didn't have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Feeling very happy indeed. So yeah, so everything worked out perfectly and I felt liberated and free to go upon starting a new life and nothing holding you back. So it was honestly the best thing that could have happened. That's hilarious. That's great. Well, that's a whole, not hilarious, but that's crazy. What a story. Right. Question, have you ever, your mentality is super funny, I find, because like you have these experiences and it's like, you're never phased like has there ever been a moment in your life where you like feel sad or feel like damn shit like I don't know yeah for sure like never until corona honestly I've always can honestly 100% say that I'm the happiest person in the world and always have been um but something happened to me in the pandemic that just hit me and I'm sure a lot of people as well like for the most part I had a lot of fun in corona like I had Milton home a lot. So we got to spend a lot of time together, but he was still working two days a week um, in the Coast Guard. So it was like, I had my alone time, but I also had him. So honestly, it was like a pretty great scenario. And um, yeah, we, we, we made fun, we had fun. I think the biggest thing was like not knowing when it was gonna end. And obviously boxing, which is like my purpose and I mean not my purpose but like my main thing that I do in life and something that I felt really like defined who I was um was taken away from me and so all of a sudden I started to have these feelings of like worthlessness and what am I even doing in life and what is my point of being here and just like all these really negative thoughts and I'd have days random days where I would wake up in the morning super anxious and sad and would just like cry all day and I would start fights with my boyfriend and he would click on pretty fast of like how I was and he was good at like helping me to like realize what I was doing and be on my side rather than against me he's good like that (laughs) Um, so that was really helpful but yeah and then the next day I'd wake up and be perfectly fine again and on top of the world it was literally I felt like I had bipolar over corona and I think what what then made it worse like I had a few of these random days like not immediately at the start but sort of as it went on a little bit um and then the world opened up again I was super happy I was doing things I was going to the gym again and I was like you know feeling very hopeful and like all those feelings were put behind me and then I broke my ankle and when I broke my ankle for the first three weeks, I was in pain 24 seven, like not excruciating pain, but just in constant annoying pain. And so it's just always on your mind, the fact that you're incapable of doing anything. Um, Milton was very great of like trying to stay with me and spend time with me, but obviously he's got a life to live too. And then he has these days of working as well. So he can't be with me like 24 seven. And, you know, he wants to go and like play volleyball and go to the beach and do fun things. And every I don't blame him for that but every time that he would do those things I just get like super depressed because I was like this is fucked I can't do anything 
<laughs> I want to be there so bad and I can't and I I became like a really clingy asshole girlfriend for a little bit sometimes you know and I was aware of what I was doing and I hated myself for it because I didn't want to be that person so I started to get really like insecure I lost a lot of confidence and uh, I I just built a little bit of complex and I became like a little bit depressed to be honest and uh, I had like a lot of good days too but mm -hmm. I had these days where it would just like get to me and it was really really hard to get through and uh, I uh, as my ankle got better um, I started to get my confidence back again because every day was exciting like every day was like oh my god what am I going to be able to do today today I walked today I actually pushed up completely off my foot and it didn't hurt today I did this like every you know it's like focusing on those little wins those little positives of like what I can do today that I couldn't do so the recovery was a bit of an exciting time and even if I couldn't go and like play full out volleyball everyone I could at least go to the beach and be there and maybe like pepper on the sidelines with somebody or you know so I started to enjoy myself a little bit more but you know the the recovery there's a lot of little wins but there's also a lot of little setbacks too and so when I'd have those little setbacks it's like all those feelings of anxiety and stuff would come back and it just felt like it was take even though I was recovering fast it felt like forever because it had been so long since I had been able to do everything 100% and and that was hard so yeah I just I had bad days and I had good days and uh I think being a girl and having weird hormones doesn't help sometimes <laughs> too. You know how it is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I feel like, like I said, so I was never, huh? That was your first time, your whole entire life that you've ever like not yeah. been happy. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, but it was almost like having that yeah. taught me how to be unhappy. And so now in the last few months, I've found myself sometimes having these feelings and these moments and these bad days over things that are so stupid and irrelevant that would have never bothered me in the past. But it's almost like because I've learned how to be this way, I let things become a bigger deal than they should sometimes because it's like before I might look at a little setback, whatever it might be, I don't know, mm -hmm. I... I, don't know, I can't even remember like something stupid I can't even remember what has pissed me off lately but like <laughs> one of my biggest things is Poor wasted time. <laughs> yeah one of my biggest things is wasted time I hate wasting time because I just feel like we have limited time on this earth and I don't ever want to be like um wasting it and sitting around doing nothing when that like uh, there's so many things I want to do. Like I want to box. I want to play volleyball. I want to DJ. I want to party. I want to travel. I want to, I don't know, like probably do something nerdy and study something one day. Like, you know, there's like so many things. Like why do I want to waste a minute when it's like I could be doing something fun? That's kind of my attitude. So I've built a little bit of anxiety around this, I think. And I saw a psychologist for a while actually, and they pointed this out. <laughs> so that's why. <laughs> but um. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes if I have a day where it's like, I don't know how you just have days where people say they're going to be there and then they're not. And so you kind of sit around and you wait and then your whole morning gets fucked up because of it because you planned this, whatever. I don't know. I have a bit of like a wasted time day. Mm -hmm. I'll let that really affect me. Whereas before in the past, I would have just been like, okay, fuck it. What else have we got to do today? Like, let's get on with it. 
and I would have just a smile on my face and kept moving and just only saw the positive. But now I found like I've found, I've found a way to look at the negative and I don't like it. I'm trying to, trying to remember how to forget about this again and just focus on the positive. And I think I'm, I'm doing better and better. Um, I think the biggest thing is just like making sure you spend enough time focusing on the positives and being grateful for all the little things, you know? Um, sometimes it's easy to just like expect things and overlook little wins and little positives and things that you should be like thankful for and when you overlook them too much then all of a sudden and you're only looking at like things that didn't go so well the balance can seem in the wrong direction yeah that's crazy that to me that's fascinating because I don't think I've like you know people are happy and you meet people who are generally you know but there's always like, usually at some point in their life, they've overcome something or, and I'm sure you've overcome a lot of things too, but it's just the fact that you're always, always happy, except for, I guess, <laughs> Corona, it's, it's fascinating I mean, to me. Don't get me wrong. Like I've had moments of stress, mm-hmm. like getting kicked out of home and not knowing where I was going to go and having to make a thousand phone calls till I could like find someone that would like, let me stay at their house and keep it a secret or like just somewhere to go like that was a stressful time but it was kind of I always had that attitude of like okay this is my situation I need to find a solution let's go it wasn't like fuck my life sucks what am I gonna do let me cry about it oh my god this is fucked like blame everyone else whatever no it was just like okay this is what we're in find a solution let's go like I always had that attitude there was no like sitting around worrying about it I mean it would worry me in the back of my head, but I didn't like affect my mood. Um, but then I guess in Corona, I don't know. I just, I didn't have solutions all of a sudden. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And so I got stuck in this little rut for a bit, but I feel like I'm, I'm getting better at fixing it now, but yeah, it was a little, a little bumpy there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. It's yeah. funny because Milton, whenever I like have these days or have like even just show signs of like one of these days is coming, Milton will be like, is your period about to come? And I'll be like, fuck you. How dare you just dismiss <laughs> it? And then I'll check and I'm like, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> maybe, oh, it's not. maybe it's not, but he'll be like, I don't, he's just like really learned how to manage it you know he's like okay she needs a bit of extra love today <laughs> oh that's nice <laughs> question for you what would you say like your weakness would be like if you were to say that you had a weakness what would you say it would be um my weakness would probably be wanting to do everything really like my indecisiveness actually that is my biggest weakness I'm so indecisive when it comes to like what to eat what to do in a day like there's day actually that was something I got really depressed about is I woke up and I didn't have like a plan for the day I think my coach was away so I was kind of just up to me to train myself and I didn't have like a plan for the day and I sat there crying till midday because I was just like what I want to do this but I want to do that but wait should I do that first or that first or but then the longer this went on this indecisiveness I was getting frustrated that I'd wasted like a whole morning doing what did I have to show for it and I was just like getting really frustrated anyway yeah so my I'd definitely say my indecisiveness whether it's about what I want to do in life what I want to eat that day like it's terrible sometimes (laughs) yeah 
but even on like a like a longer time scale like did you ever think like oh like I don't know like you know a lot of people's like oh I want to buy a house and I want to do this I want to do that like you know it's your your career progression right it's just been a series of like oh that sounds sweet let me do this (laughs) yeah no I mean not really no I I never really had much of a long-term plan it's always been like uh not one day to the next but kind of like I'll so when I was young I knew I wanted to travel I didn't know specifically like I wanted to travel everywhere so again indecision like it wasn't like I had a list that I was ticking off kind of thing but it was like I'd have a friend that'd be like oh I'm gonna go to Fiji yep okay that's the next trip I have a boyfriend I had a boyfriend who really wanted to go to New Zealand all right that's the next trip like you know it wasn't like okay I'm gonna go to this country then this country then this country and I had a whole plan like not like that I just knew I wanted to travel so that was kind of like my priority and my goal and then in between that like living life and making money my priority was just always like having fun and like myself and then and then with the gym like the plan was just kind of like growing the gym making sure people were achieving their goals getting fit and like you know getting more members helping more people and stuff like that but it wasn't like by this date we need to achieve this or by this date we need to achieve this or anything like that and then as far as like and then moving to America, that was kind of like, you know, I just decided that when I had the revelation about, you know, our marriage ended and I was sort of like, yeah, I can like do anything I want with my life. I can be anywhere. Like what's really important to me? What would I kick myself if I didn't like throw myself into and have a go? And and so then I decided I wanted to do boxing. And so I just kind of followed that path with boxing. But it's not like I set myself a timeline of like, okay, by this date, I'm going to turn pro. It was more like, okay, once I feel this kind of readiness, then I'm going to turn pro. Um, not really like a date kind of time. The only actually thing that I did plan was when I was a teenager, I, and even younger, I was like, I'm not getting married before I'm 30. But then I blew that. <laughs> <laughs> should have listened to my inner child there (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I knew from a young age that I just wanted to be like single and free and not to be like be a slut and hook up with people I mean whatever but like just more to just like be unattached and be not responsible to anyone but myself you know yeah uh, free like just to be free (laughs) yeah and even now like I'm sort of a more I want to make sure I'm enjoying myself day to day. That's what's really important to me. Like, do I wake up and live a life that I absolutely love from start to finish? And at the moment, I can say that I do. And for most of my past, I can say that I do. And that's really my goal. And so I'm kind of, my long-term goals are sort of like making sure I can maintain that. So for example, like me making money is making money in a way that I enjoy and then investing it in a way that's going to set me up to be able to continue to live the way that I like and you know be able to travel and stuff like that so I don't know like when people are like what are you going to do after boxing I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) what am I going to do even in a few years like am I still going to be boxing maybe I don't know like if I still like boxing then yes if I don't (laughs) nothing else I'm sure it's like I've always kind of just like fallen into what I've liked like I fell into Mm -hmm. personal training when I met my ex I fell into working in bars when my friend's girlfriend took me to that Coyote Ugly type bar. You know, it's like everything I did, I just, I fell into uh, 
working in Greece when I my friend from the boxing gym offered me the job and I just loved it so I kept going back you know it's like I've never I don't know I just feel like I'll keep doing what I'm doing until something better comes along that I enjoy more or that I that excites me more so yeah that's, that's super my, cool my wow, that's, that's <laughs> super super awesome and you can tell like you have like a presence about you when you're at the beach because I just feel like you're 100% present in every single moment so in every interaction you are you're just enjoying the moment um and it's cool because I can't say that most people I met have that same type of, of feel so that's very cool yeah especially at the beach because that's my time to just like like there's so many yeah. so much like mm-hmm. things going on like I don't want to be on my phone I mean I'll be on my phone if I have something I have to get done right there and then but like it's such a good opportunity to just like throw your phone in the bike basket and just be like what's going on right now like time away from Mm -hmm. connecting with anything outside what's in front of you you know yeah 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 okay I have like two more questions um the first one would be is how do you define a successful life um just figuring out like what makes you happy finding like finding a way to live your day from start to finish in a way that you enjoy and also in a way that you can like maintain that and have longevity with that. Okay, cool. And then what would you say would be three to five traits that you think is important to life? Or let's say if you had kids, like what would be the three to five traits that you would try to teach your kids? Um, confidence would be number one like you know what I love about the kids at the beach is that they'll just come up to you and start talking to you you know they have, <laughs> no, they have no shame they have no like oh like I remember when I grew up I was like oh it's an adult I'm I'm I can't talk to them because I'm so inferior you know but I love these kids at the beach that they're just so confident to be able to talk to anybody and ask for what they need and have a conversation with anybody so yeah confidence I love that um honesty I think that's really important I hate when people lie I think it's so bad um uh making decisions (laughs) 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 but like picking something and just going for it not sort of like half-assing or like being on the fence because you're not sure if it's like what you really want or not. Just like making that decision and go for it and see what happens. Like maybe it sucks, but at least you know. <laughs> um, so what's that? That's three. Um, working hard without expectation. I think that's really important. Um, like being willing to just like throw yourself into something but not like thinking oh I did this so why don't I have that because I think as soon as you start having expectation that's when you start getting like sad and depressed and anxious and depressed and um you know because like why isn't my life working out it's like okay well maybe it wasn't meant to just yet (laughs) gotta keep working harder I don't know Um, and what's another one um I don't know (laughs) it's pretty solid I think those are pretty solid 
I mean, I think the last one was two, kind of. So that's five, really. <laughs> yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> and is there anything else that you would say, like, if you were to give kind of a message to, to anyone, what would you say? Right now, is there um, anything else you want to say? Just, like, have fun and don't take life too seriously. <laughs> really, just, like, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you laugh, like, do more of that. And just, yeah like don't let anyone tell you or don't even let yourself tell you it's like impossible or you can't like okay maybe you might not be the olympic champion but fuck it doesn't mean you can't do something or you can't enjoy it or you can't have a go at least and try it and see how far you can get i think yeah just i think yeah i think people will be a lot happier if they just didn't take things so seriously in life like things that people say and they could just lighten up and be be you know have fun light-hearted light yeah light about everything <laughs> <laughs> nice well you definitely live that out and I guess it's the way that you're so radiant around the beach I was like oh April April April's here so it's cool <laughs> it's cool hearing about your life and then hearing how you think and then seeing the expression of it and the way that you live so that's super cool <laughs> thanks yeah. yeah but thank you April thank you for for kind of sharing your story um <laughs> going to life it's really cool really, yeah, really cool great. thanks for thanks for having me on and that concludes my conversation with avril massey you can find her on instagram at avril massey that's a-v-r-i-l-m-a-t-h-i-e check her out on instagram give her a follow and you can check out all of her links sure to check out the website www.humansoftheworld.co and follow us on Instagram. That's at Humans of the World Podcast. There, make sure you join our Humans of the World global community hosted on our Discord channel. And join some other cool people from around the world. So with nothing more, I hope you have a fantastic day.